Welcome back to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. When I say welcome back, it's because it's been a long time since this show has been on the air. Last time we broadcasted was on July 22nd. It's almost a month ago because today, as I do this show, is August 16th, Saturday at about 2 o'clock Pacific Time, that is in the afternoon. So it's been a while, almost four weeks since you last heard from me, but this show is going to return to its regular once-a-week broadcast. In fact, for the next two weeks, it'll be more often than once per week. Next show is scheduled for five days from now on Thursday, and the next show after that is scheduled for six days after that on Wednesday. So we'll get back into it. There were two reasons why this show had a hiatus. One of the reasons was I got a bad cold and I was unable to talk for any length of time. I could speak for, you know, a few sentences here and there, but I definitely could not sit down and speak for three or four hours straight, which is a lot tougher than you think. A lot tougher than you think, especially with no co-host. Last time I tried to do that with a cold, and that cold wasn't even as bad as this one was, it really, really hurt my throat, and it made the whole thing take a longer time to get better. So I said, I'm not doing that again. That was the first reason that we had a hiatus. The second reason was because I went on vacation. Uh, I took the family on a trip to Vancouver and then on a cruise ship to Alaska. And I got back from that four days ago. So... We're back here, back on a regular schedule. Of course, whenever I go away for a while, there's a lot to talk about. You might wonder, why are we doing this show on Saturday afternoon? I know it's not the most convenient time. I know a lot of people enjoy having their weekends to do activities or spend time with their family. And they like the weeknight schedule better for the live broadcast because, uh, you know, on a weeknight, there's typically less to do. But the reason... I'm doing it on Saturday is because I really wasn't available to do it any time prior to this, and I didn't want to wait until next week to do another show because it's already been long enough. So I picked the first available opportunity, and that is today at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We're not going to have a free roll today, so if you hate that little speech about the free roll I do every week, good news, you're not going to hear it this week. Reason no free roll is because this is such an odd time And I announced a change in this time. It was supposed to be yesterday, but uh, it turned out I couldn't make it yesterday either. So uh, I don't think we're going to have that many people listening live today. And I I don't want to penalize those who listen regularly by giving away free roll money when very few can make it. And when people had pretty short notice about the day and time change. So I'm just going to have no free roll for this one. And don't worry, the money's not going anywhere. I have uh, built up some money for the free rolls. And we'll start giving that away again next week on Thursday, August 21st. But other than that, it'll be a normal show today. I have some good news for everybody. The text phone number is back. The main phone number, 775-FRAUD55, that you used to be able to text as well as call, now works for text once again. For a while, I established a different phone number to text this show, 
like its own little text phone number, but that number never really worked very well. It was hard to remember. The number of texts I got greatly decreased after I changed the number. So I got the main phone number working again for text. It had some trouble for a while, but I, I worked on it today and it works now. So 775-372-8355, which is our main number, you can now text me at that number. And don't bother texting the one we were using for a few months because that one I'm not going to use anymore. So, of course, you can also call me on 775-FRAUD55. That's 775-372-8355. That's the main phone number to the show. You do have to show your caller ID or the call just won't get through. You can do that by either enabling the option on your phone to show your caller ID or dial star 82 before the phone number. So, I just got my first text on the main phone number. About time this is back from the 641 area code. So thank you. I'm glad you're enjoying that the show is back. And so anyway, that's the main number to call or text the show. If you want to call our Mount Charleston line, the Mount Charleston line is an old 70s telephone that sits on top of Mount Charleston. Mount Charleston is a mountain that sits about 45 minutes from Las Vegas. And... You can reach me on that number, 702-430-1808-702-430-1808. They're claiming in the chat room right now that there's a free roll, that I don't seem to know there's a free roll. You're right, I don't. I was was furiously preparing for the show. If, If there is one, it's an unofficial free roll. So, I I just didn't put on a free roll because I wanted. Uh, I see. Wow, Belly Buster has put up a free roll. He's the one who runs the No Fraud Online Poker Room. He calls it Belly's Fuck Yes Free Roll, and he's giving a hundred dollars away. Okay, Belly Buster definitely has the right to do that. He's the one who runs the No Fraud Online Poker Room that is attached to this site. So go ahead and play. I guess he's giving a hundred dollars away. So you never know what you'll find when you listen to this show live. So thank you, Belly Buster. Appreciate that. Yeah, I didn't see that till now, till the chat room mentioned it. Speaking of the chat room, you can find me in there. Go to the, the chat button on the top of the screen. You need an account that's registered in good standing on PokerFraudAlert.com to access the chat room. And you need a flash-enabled device, meaning you cannot have an iPhone or iPad and see the chat. I will try to read as much as possible, but please keep in mind that I'm doing the show by myself and nobody is helping me here. So it's hard enough to talk and to not have dead air and also, you know, provide good content without having to read a chat room. So I I read it every so often, but I probably miss things there. If you want to get something across to me that I won't miss, you're better off texting me at 775-372. 8355. Jstat's a little worried to text me. He says he has a secret number that very few people have, but trust me, I'm not going to give out your number. In fact, I won't even remember your number. I don't even pay attention. I, I kind of start to remember who's in what area code, and I know he's in Northern California, but other than that, I guarantee I won't remember your number. So, 
<laughs> wow. See, Money is saying in the chat he wants to add $100, too. So it looks like we might have a large payout free roll on a day that hardly anyone plays. Interesting. See, Money, a very generous guy, a successful businessman who enjoys this show, enjoys this site, has just given away so much money to both these free rolls and staked players here. He's even bought pieces of me in the past. Uh, very, very uh, generous individual, and I appreciate that. So, he says he can carry till next week if better. Yeah, I think it's probably better to carry till next week, to be honest. But let me know either way. Let me give you the agenda tonight. Uh, we always have a lot to talk about whenever I'm gone for a few weeks because a lot of stories build up. But I like to talk about the more recent things because, you know, if I talk about a story that's three weeks old, that's kind of already been beaten to death elsewhere. I'm going to give an update on Poker Fraud Alert hats. They will be going out soon. There's an article in Newsweek. I used to respect Newsweek, but I haven't in quite a while. I used to really respect Newsweek as a kid back in the 80s. Anyway, there's a terrible fear-mongering article in Newsweek bashing online poker. And when I say bashing online poker, I really mean it's bashing the upcoming attempt to legalize online poker around the country and get it legalized in big states like California. It's trying to bash the legal online poker in the U.S. movement that has been going forward in recent years. We'll talk about that, and we'll talk about the woman who is behind that article and some baggage she has. Speaking of women, we have a catfight in the poker community right now. Amanda Musumichi, who I think in 2011 made it very deep in the World Series of Poker main event. And she's run deep in several other tournaments, including, I think, at least one other World Series event. She has called out another woman in poker named Kim Shannon as a scammer. Now, I didn't know much about Kim Shannon. I'll tell you honestly, I would see Kim Shannon on Twitter. And I just kind of assumed I didn't know who she was because I was just not following who's who in poker these days enough. I'm like, oh, you know, she seems pretty in tune with the community. She seems like she's a big deal. You know, like, <laughs> from reading her Twitter, I mean, she never said she was a big deal, but just from reading her Twitter, I got the impression she was someone pretty well known in poker that I just hadn't become aware of for whatever reason. Uh, it turned out that wasn't really the case, and it turns out there's a controversy at the moment that Amanda Musumichi claims that one-time close friend Kim Shannon is a scammer. Now, that's a little bit old news. I think about two weeks old. But I have some things that I want to tell you that have not been posted anywhere about this on both sides of the dispute. So I think you're going to want to hear this if you're interested at all in this story. Because you've probably read, uh, or maybe you've read Amanda Musumichi's blog about it, but uh, and Kim Shannon has not responded yet, but there's a lot more to the story, apparently. Well, a shady California Indian tribe has opened up an online poker site called Private Table. We talked about that on our last show. It's about a month old, this story. But uh, 
I think it's a San Ysidro. I think it's the name of it. Uh, or no, Santa Isabel, not San Ysidro. It's the city. Santa Isabel Indian tribe is opening up an online poker site. In fact, it's already open called Private Table, which I think is a stupid name because it has nothing to do with private poker tables, which is a regular online poker site. But they, they've opened up this Private Table site, which is a regular online poker site, that will accept players from California only for real money without the blessings of the state of California. They're just pretty much going ahead and doing it. And I explained last time why they feel that they are on proper legal ground to go ahead and do that. Now, we're not going to discuss that part of it this time. Well, maybe a little bit, but uh, they're claiming that they're going to start accepting real money players in late August. Because right now you cannot play for their own real money, but they claim in late August you can. Talk a bit more about Private Table and a very softball interview done by Card Player Magazine with the head of Private Table. Well, Phil Ivey's Asian female Baccarat accomplice, you know, the one who helped him do the edge sorting to give himself an advantage in Baccarat ed- across various casinos, and he's involved in some legal disputes involving over $10 million involving all that. But his accomplice is now suing Foxwoods over a separate matter that has nothing to do with Phil Ivey. We'll talk about that. The One Drop tournament aired on ESPN, and this, of course, turned focus again to the winner, Daniel Coleman, who was very uncooperative with doing interviews or taking pictures after he won the event and then made an odd statement afterwards, pretty much bashing poker as a game and as a community. And I was pretty harsh on Mr. Coleman about this. Well, Daniel Coleman has come forward with further statements about why he's saying and doing what he's doing, and I will tell you how I feel about that. I bet you can guess. Here's a story that's getting very, very little press. In fact, the victim, or the supposed victim here, didn't want to come on the show and didn't even want me discussing it, but I'm going to anyway. Kevin McPhee claimed on his Twitter that 888.com, which of course is a very large company, they're the ones who provide the software and customer support for WSOP.com, he's claiming that 888.com ripped him off stole his money, and did not give him a 14K World Series package that he had won. And they shut down his account as well. We'll talk about what might or might not be going on there, and I'll also discuss why Kevin McPhee at first you know, came out guns a-blazing about this, why he seems to have gone silent, and why he's so sensitive about the whole matter. They've released odds on the... Nine participants at the World Series of Poker main event to take place in November of this year, one of whom is Mark Newhouse, who we had on this show last month. Good interview. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen. And I will read the odds and give you my impression of those odds and whether I think that they're accurate. A little-known poker site called Gear Poker has dropped off of the Equity Poker Network. Talk a bit about that. Bet365.com ran a shady promotion, and they're actually 
maybe going to pay the price for it. They're being taken to court by Australian authorities over this. Good. Glad to hear it. Talk about that. On the last show, we talked about a robbery that occurred at Caesars Atlantic City where the perpetrators got away with $180,000. Eight arrests have been made involving this robbery, and an additional arrest was made against the father of one of the alleged perpetrators for shooting one of the police coming to arrest his son. Crazy story. We'll talk about what happened there. Finally, as I've done every week since 2014 when we've had a show, I have an editorial. An editorial is not a news story, really, but it's just me giving my opinion on a certain subject, usually about poker. This one is kind of tied into the whole Daniel Coleman thing, the subject of this editorial. Poker is not an evil game. I guess it can tie into the Newsweek thing, too. But I thought it was a good topic for an editorial this week since we have two stories kind of surrounding some criticism of poker itself. So that's what we're doing tonight. If you want to call in, 775-FRAUD-55, 702-430-1808. You can also reach me in the chat room. You can also text me, 775-372-8355. And we are going to get going. I will read your texts on the show, by the way, unless you ask me not to. Another same person texted before asked, can I get a hat? Well, that's a good lead in because I'm going to start the show off with a hat update. I purchased about 70 poker fraud alert hats. A few I kept for myself, but the rest were meant to be given away to people who are loyal to poker fraud alert or people who have contributed in some way to Poker Fraud Alert. So what do I mean by that? Well, Poker Fraud Alert does not make money. In fact, it loses money most months. The only months we don't lose money is when uh, we have a sponsor, which we haven't had in a while. So, with Poker Fraud Alert not being a profitable site, and I don't even attempt to make it a profitable site. It's something I do just for the poker community and something because it's something I want to do. Uh, obviously, we don't have a very high budget as far as promotions. But I did buy those hats to thank people who have been loyal to the site or helped the site in some way. And I'm going to ship out these hats free of cost to those that qualify. Now, how do you qualify? You just have to qualify by meeting any of these following criteria. Not all of them, just any of them. Any of these, I have six criteria. You need to meet one of them to get a free hat. One or more, obviously. Number one, you're a longtime active or semi-active Poker Fraud Alert forum poster. Now that means a poster on this site, not other sites I've been involved with in the past. Number two, You've donated to the Radio Free Roll or other Poker Fraud Alert contests. And this includes holding your own free roll contests or donating money to any kind of prizes awarding here, awarded here. Meaning, basically, if you've ever given away money here to be given out to the community, then you'll get a hat if you want one. Three, if you've co-hosted Poker Fraud Alert Radio with me at any point, you didn't have to be a regular host, just if you were ever a host here, even for one show, 
I will give you a hat. This doesn't count if you just called in, but it counts if you were a co-host at any point. Four, if you have been a regular live listener to the radio show and I've seen you frequently in the chat room. Number five, if you're a longtime archive listener to the radio show, because I realize a lot of you can't listen live for whatever reason, don't want to penalize you, but I have to have been aware of this for a while. So if you've been quietly listening for two years and haven't told me, I appreciate it very much, but there's no way I will know for sure if you have been listening for two years, if you just found the show last week. So uh, I have to have been aware of you being a longtime live listener to the show for a while prior to right now. So don't send me an email trying to convince me now because uh, that's not good enough. So that's a, I always ask the lurkers, you know, show yourself in some way to me, even if just privately, so I know you're out there So for things like this. Uh, and number six, if you've sponsored PFA at any point. So if any of these apply to you, I'll send you a hat. And it's first come, first served. So how do you get one if you are in one of these categories? You can PM me, Dan Space Druff on Poker Fraud Alert, or you can email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. And I will need your address and, you know, first come, first serve for those that qualify. And once they're all gone, they're gone. Maybe I'll order more, maybe I won't. So that's the story with the hats. Why haven't I sent them out till now? Well, a few reasons. Number one, it's a lot of effort. And I want to kind of do it all in batches. I don't want to send out one hat here, one hat there. Uh, number two, I've had a lot of things I've been doing. You know, first the World Series and this trip. You know, I also got sick at one point. So I believe I'll probably be shipping out the first batch of hats sometime in the upcoming week. And I will announce when that has been done. So that's my thank you to the Poker Fraud Alert community, whether it's the radio show or the forum for being a part of this site. And as you can imagine, it, it actually is not that cheap to buy that many hats. I got a good deal on them, and it was actually thanks to a member of this site who got me a good deal on the hats, and I appreciate that, but uh, it still costs money, and I'm just taking it out of my pocket because I appreciate those that have been part of this site or listened to this show all this time. Seriously Serious already offering in the chat to sell his hat since he qualifies for the low, low price of $60. Or sorry, fifty nine ninety nine if you don't meet the criteria. <laughs> so this is what I'm afraid of. I'm always afraid of people trying to game the system here. I'm just, I'm just trying to give out hats to people who have been a part of the site here. And we always have to have the gamers here who are going to try to Profit for my generosity. Shame on you, Seriously Serious. Okay, so uh, let's move forward to the main article, the main item in our agenda, and that's the Newsweek article. If you've not read it yet, uh, you can probably find it pretty easily by just Googling Newsweek space online space poker. Newsweek Online Poker, you'll probably find the article very easily. The problem with articles like this is that they reach a lot of people and they seem to have credibility. And 
that is the biggest enemy of us in the online poker community. We're, we're hoping that online poker will become widely legalized across the 50 United States, or at least across most of them. And articles like this can be very damaging because they can sway public opinion, and if it's in a magazine like Newsweek, which once had a lot of credibility, it doesn't anymore, but a lot of people don't realize that. But if it's in a magazine called Newsweek that's been around forever, that people once trusted, and if it seems to be well-researched, which it appears to be if you don't know anything about the subject, and it's pretty long, and it's pretty detailed, even though it gets a lot of things wrong and a few things laughably wrong, to the average person, it can be very alarming. And the average person reading this Newsweek article will come away with the belief that online poker is a very big danger to this country and that it's being pushed forward for monetary purposes to enrich the companies offering it, to enrich the government who will tax it, to enrich the politicians who receive campaign contributions for supporting it, but at the expense of our children. That's the impression you will come away with if you read the Newsweek article and do not know better. So as a listener to this show, you're unlikely to come away with that impression as you're probably pretty aware that this is all BS. But the average person reading that article will come away with a very negative impression of online poker and a very negative impression of the legalization efforts. Now, I can actually respect, even though I disagree with, those who present legitimate arguments against legalizing online poker. There are some legitimate arguments against it. I'm not saying I agree with them or that I feel they're correct. But when I say legitimate, I mean you can see where they're coming from. Um, People who have concern that it's just expanding gambling in general and gambling is a bad vice. That it makes it too easy to gamble. It makes it too easy to lose money. It, It makes everyone's access to gambling too simple to where compulsive gambling will skyrocket in this country if it gets legalized. I don't believe these things, but I can understand the point of view of the opposition there and say, okay, I can see where they're coming from. I can understand it. But this article goes beyond that. This article really tries to make you believe that our children are at risk. It does this not just by the text in the article, But the picture on the article is of a young boy, he looks about 10 years old, holding up what looks like an iPad with a royal flush on the iPad. I don't mean like a royal flush in an online poker table that you'd be familiar with or even a mock-up of an online poker table. This is like just five cards taking up the entire screen of a royal flush. And of course it's supposed to be symbolic, but uh, the message you get from looking at Just this picture, without reading a word of the article, just the picture of the article on the cover of Newsweek, is of a 10-year-old boy who's playing for real money in online poker. And, of course, this tugs at your heartstrings. Of course, this makes you very alarmed. This makes you afraid. 
especially if you have children. Imagine if you are the parent of a 10-year-old or someone around that age and you think that perhaps legalized online poker will mean your 10-year-old will be secretly playing online poker for real money and become a compulsive gambler before he's even a teenager and maybe even stealing your credit cards to fund his habit and drain the family bank account and there'll be nothing you can do. Now, if people believe things like that, then you can understand how the general public will turn against any kind of online poker legalization efforts. So that's why these articles are so damaging. And I think they're much more damaging than a few stupid commercials that Sheldon Adelson is funding because you can't get that entire message across in a credible sense in a 30-second ad. And honestly, those ads I thought weren't even done very well. I thought they they just looked ridiculous and stupid, even from an outsider standpoint. But this article, while inaccurate gives the impression like it knows what it's talking about. Have you ever spoken to someone about a subject and they seem to have a lot of knowledge on the subject and if you don't, you just believe them because they have so much detail? And then later you find out that they were completely full of crap and talking out of their ass and just, you know, they knew certain details to make themselves sound credible, but it turned out the the basis of everything they were telling you was wrong? Uh, I'm sure you've run into that in your life, but you don't figure this out until you research it yourself later but someone who has a lot of detail someone who could provide a lot of detail gets instant credibility now this Newsweek article was written by a woman named Leah McGrath Goodman I'm surprised Leah McGrath Goodman is still writing for Newsweek and it came out on uh, August 14th, by the way. It's a, it's a very recent article. Liam McGrath Goodman is the one responsible for the debacle of Satoshi Nakamoto, the founder of Bitcoin. If you remember, Newsweek identified Bitcoin's inventor as an older Japanese guy who lived in Southern California. And this guy was harassed by the news media. He actually fled in his car from the news media, almost like OJ running away. Except the difference is, unlike OJ, uh, Satoshi had not committed any crimes. And in fact, Satoshi was not even the father of Bitcoin. He had nothing to do with Bitcoin. It was all a big mistake. And the dumbest thing was, this Satoshi name was something that was invented by the founder of Bitcoin to keep himself anonymous. So it was amazing that Newsweek and uh, Leah McGrath Goodman, more specifically, was so stupid as to believe that this name that was created and, and said to be, widely known to be, an alias for so long, turned out to actually be the real name of the creator, who was easy to find in Southern California. You'd think she'd say, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. It's probably just a guy who happens to have that same name but has nothing to do with it. But nope, she believed he had something to do with it on very, 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 very flimsy evidence. So they harassed this poor guy until finally Newsweek had to issue a retraction. Very embarrassing situation. And you would think that after Leah McGrath Goodman screwed up this way and embarrassed Newsweek this way, 
that she would never write for them again. But no, uh, Newsweek, which has really declined over the last few decades. I read it in the 80s and, you know, I I guess in the mid-80s I was a kid myself and uh, everything in a magazine called Newsweek seemed like something trustworthy and respectable. So, but it's definitely declined since then. It, it's taken on more of a sensational aspect because they, they feel that just regular news stories, people are just going to find them on the Internet. So Newsweek's feel, Newsweek feels like it really needs an edge to get anyone to read it anymore. So it's really just become kind of a rag, Newsweek, but most people don't realize this, and that gives this article credibility. Nor do people realize that this Leah McGrath Goodman behind the article is the same person who blew the Bitcoin Satoshi Nakamoto uh, debacle so badly. I'm really amazed that she wrote another article for Newsweek, a front page article. Like, how is that possible? How did they not fire her ass after that? That was an amazing blunder. That wasn't just getting a few details wrong. That was just completely blowing a major story, getting a lot of attention for Newsweek, and then a lot of negative attention for Newsweek for being so stupid. And what do they do? They have her write another front page article about another controversial subject. (laughs) Unbelievable. So that's the background of Leah McGrath Goodman, who wrote this article. To show you how clueless she actually is, despite, again, a lot of detail being in this article, here's a statement from the middle of the, or not the middle, the beginning of the article. Uh, This is referring to the uh, reinterpretation of the Wire Act that, the 1961 Wire Act, and that reinterpretation allowed online poker to become legal in the U.S. to where the state's would be able to decide one by one whether they wanted it. So what was in this article says, the only federal restriction sites preserved was the ban against online betting events such as horse racing or March Madness. Otherwise, she found that the states were allowed to decide individually if they wanted to offer online gambling within their borders or team up with other states. Now what's wrong with that statement? What is wrong with that statement in this article? Uh, and sites they're referring to is uh, U.S. Assistant Attorney General Virginia Sites to uh, uh, issue that legal opinion about the Wire Act in, uh, at the end of 2011. Well, let's go over the first sentence again. The only federal restriction sites preserved was the ban against online betting on events such as horse racing or March Madness. Well, haven't you been able to bet on horse racing over the telephone and online for a very long time, long before online poker? Yes! So so she says that uh, there's still a ban on horse racing when in fact people have been betting on horse racing uh, for decades. <laughs> That's That's been exempted from telephone and online gambling for a very long time, horse racing. And she didn't even know that. So that shows you the factual accuracy of this article. Not, not a big point in this article, obviously, but just it just gives you an example. Well, another problem, another thing mentioned in this article, I mean, the whole article's a problem, but... Uh, 
the geolocation is being criticized. Geolocation is the technology being used to locate where you are, and that's necessary for playing state-based online poker. For example, the Nevada online poker sites, you have to be physically standing in the state of Nevada in order to legally play. And to figure out whether you're physically standing in the state of Nevada, it tracks your cell phone with your permission and reports back to the site whether it's picking up a signal within the state of Nevada. And they're claiming that the geolocation is not working properly, or they're wary of it. The article says... Geolocational technology, which works better in cities than in rural areas and vast expanses of desert due to their reliance on hotspots and cellular towers to triangulate players. And that uh, they're worried, a representative from Utah is worried that online poker will not stay out of Utah because it's in neighboring Nevada. Well, it's actually the opposite situation. We've had it where people in Nevada have not been able to play because they're identified as being outside of Nevada. And this happens because, as it was said in the article, it is harder to locate these players if they're out in rural or very large desert areas where there were not a lot of people, and it becomes much more difficult to locate someone within the borders, especially if it's uh, kind of close to a border. But it's actually more difficult the other way, where if it's marginal, it goes the other way and says you can't play. So we haven't had any reports of people in Utah being able to successfully play online poker that is only for Nevada residents. We've had the opposite. The people in Nevada sometimes can't play the online poker. They can't connect to it because the geolocation is too sensitive and being too conservative. So this just hasn't happened. And the truth is, this is a very, very minor concern. I mean, what is a state border, if you think about it? A state border is just arbitrary. There's nothing magical that happens when you cross over from Nevada to Utah. It's just one government is now in charge of that land instead of another. So if you did have two border towns, one in Utah, one in Nevada, and somehow... Somehow a mistake occurred to where a few residents in that border town in Utah could play online poker. Big deal. Big deal. If a person wants to play online poker, they can just cross the border anyway. They could go across uh, a few miles or maybe even less than a mile and physically stand in Nevada and do it anyway. So I don't see why they're even worried about that. But beyond that, there's not even a single report yet of someone being able to successfully play from outside of the state borders. Now, it may have happened through VPNs or TeamViewer or things like that, but again, someone who would resort to all of that would need uh, enough resources and know-how to be able to do it that this would not likely be a kid that we would have to worry about protecting from this. But they're already attacking the geolocation technology when, as far as we've seen, the technology has been fine to keep people out, just not been good at keeping people in. And, and you, of course, you know, like if you're a kid, let's say you're a kid uh, who lives in Utah 
or anywhere, and you want to play the Nevada online poker sites. And even if you find a way to VPN into there, that only solves half the problem. You also need a cell phone that's currently sitting within Nevada's borders, which means you would need an accomplice in the state of Nevada to be holding a cell phone for you and leaving it on so it can geolocate it over there. I mean, it's just so far-fetched. I'm not saying that this can't happen, but there's no way that it would ever become a widespread or even semi-widespread problem. It's going to be very difficult for anyone outside of these states to be able to play on these state online poker sites without a lot of effort and help from the outside. And especially children are going to really have a very hard time ever getting onto one of those sites from a different state. So the article spends some time focusing on that. Uh, It also mentions a ludicrous story. Listen to this one. I had one kid being raised by a single mother who stole two of her credit cards and lost $20,000 on poker stars in one month. I mean, it sounds like a bad story. A kid being raised by a single mother stole two of her credit cards and lost 20k on poker stars in one month. All right. Let's take this apart. First of all, this is just a story that's being told about a third party. So, first of all, who even knows if it's true? Second, how old is this kid? How come we don't hear the age of this kid? Why isn't it like we had one 13-year-old, we had one 16-year-old? How come it's one kid? Well, it's very possible that the kid is over 18. Now, anybody can be considered a kid of a mother, no matter what your age. You can be 60 years old and, and you're... Mother can say my kid and be speaking accurately about you. So when they say one kid stole two of her credit cards, it could be the kid who's over 18 and is a legal adult. Also, how did this kid get $20,000 in deposit limits on PokerStars in the period of a month before the mother would open up her credit card statement and see that... uh, that these charges are there? Or how did she even have so much credit if she's a, quote, single mother? And they didn't say how much money she has. I mean, she could be a single mother who's a millionaire. But um, they're implying a a single mother is someone who doesn't have much money, someone struggling to get by. That's what they're trying to get across to you here. So how does a single mother have a 20K credit limit? I don't know many struggling single mothers who have a 20K credit limit. I, I know of single mothers who are successful who have... 20k and beyond credit limits but a a typical single mother just struggling to get by and raise her family does not have 20k of credit but even ignoring that how did this kid get the limits raised on poker stars to 20k so quickly that is not covered that is not explained nobody can understand how that happened Uh, I, I think this is either a fabricated story, a highly exaggerated story. Maybe the kid was really, you know, 19 years old, took his mother's credit card, lost $600, and over time the story became 20000 Or maybe it was a free roll situation. Maybe the single mother was a compulsive gambler herself, and maybe she was a crappy player, just had bad luck, 
and lost 20K on poker stars. And I was like, crap, I can't afford this. I know what I'll do. I'll say my kid did it. Try to get the money back. I'm sure she wouldn't be the first one to have tried that one. But that is mentioned in the article. And that goes right along with the 10-year-old kid holding up the iPad with a royal flush sitting on it. So this is a very, very misleading article with a lot of statements that are very, very hard to verify, some which are incorrect. And there's nothing in the article that balances on the other side. They didn't ask anyone on the other side for their commentary. They didn't ask anyone who runs the existing online poker sites, the existing legalized online poker sites, you know, someone at uh, Ultimate Poker, someone at WSOP.com. They didn't ask any of them for comment. They didn't ask anyone at the Poker Players Alliance for comment. They didn't ask any person ingrained in the poker community for comment. They didn't ask anyone who works in the industry at all for comment. It's a one-sided propaganda piece, pretty much. And focuses a lot on the danger towards children. It also seems to be somewhat of a political hit piece. Uh, mainly against pre- President Obama. It's, it's mainly getting across that various politicians, including Obama, are receiving a lot of money from gaming interests... When I say receiving money, I don't mean illegally receiving money, but to their campaigns. And that between that and the states needing money from you know any kind of revenue they can find, that they're willing to legalize this at the expense of our children. They even make sure to mention the states that are against online poker and the ones that are for it. So, this is really a pretty lousy article. A very lousy article. It is important to understand, even though this article is mainly attacking Obama and fellow fellow Democrats, that this is not really a partisan issue. I've seen some hatred directed at Republicans recently about online poker and, you know, Black Friday and the legalization effort and the anti-legalization efforts and things like that. And it's easy to just say, well, Republicans are against it, Democrats are for it, because you know you have Sheldon Adelson, who's known to be funding Republican interests and is a Republican, and he's been the biggest opponent of online poker. So it's easy to think the other side must be the Democrats. It's not really true. Black Friday actually happened, not just under President Obama's watch, but uh, Preet Bara, the one behind it, is a Democrat. He was appointed by Obama. So Democrats were behind Black Friday. I'm not going to blame them for Black Friday, but the, the truth is Democrats were behind Black Friday. The truth is you have a number of Democrats who are for online poker. You have a number of Democrats who are against online poker. You have a number of Republicans who are for online poker. You have a number of Democrats who are, or a number of Republicans who are against online poker. Now, it's true that there are more Democrats for online poker than Republicans. That's true. But it's not cut and dry like that. 
There are a lot on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the issue. It's just not a partisan issue. And when you make it one, then you're distracting from the real issue. So instead of attacking a political party, you should be going after the incorrect and damaging message that the anti-online poker folks are trying to disseminate to the rest of the country. By the way, Newt Gingrich has, for a very long time, been very pro-online poker. Bet you wouldn't guess that. Anyway, very, very crappy article. And the only way to combat things like this is with factual articles on our side. And I'm hoping that any company or organization with the funding and influence to get such articles out there would be doing so. And this includes Caesars, who has a lot to gain by getting online poker legalized in more states, especially bigger states. I would hope that they would push and use their influence to get more accurate articles about online poker out there. Because the more stuff like this goes out there, the less of a chance there is that online poker will be legalized. Now, I forgot to put this in the agenda, but or I think maybe I mentioned it... Uh, I think I may have mentioned it in the last show. I don't remember when this happened. But online poker is not going to happen in California until at least 2016. So... Yeah, it looks like this actually happened since the last show. This was, uh, yeah, this is a story from about 10 days ago. But there will not be any California legalized online poker until 2016. That's because the California legislative session ends in August. So there's not enough time to get a bill through. And they're going to revisit it next year, but that's bad news because, number one, the momentum of getting this done has been destroyed. And number two, now we're going to have to wait till 2015 for a law to be passed if one does ever pass, which means we won't be playing probably till 2016 because it'll take about another year to write regulations and actually get online poker running in California. Now, we will talk later in the show about this online poker site private table in California that's attempting to run right now anyway. All right, moving on to the next subject. If I can find my damn agenda. Here we are. Well, let's move to something... Uh, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to... I was going to go to the Amanda Musumichi thing, but I'm going to hold off on that for a second until we talk about the related topic, and that's about this private table thing, since it's kind of related to what I was just talking about. Private table is an online poker site. Right now it's only for play money, but soon, supposedly, soon, like within a week or two, real money will be accepted there. And it's run by the Santa Isabel Indian tribe in California. And they are running this despite the fact that 
U.S. law, or not U.S. law, California law, is actually not allowing such things. So how is that happening? Well, basically, they think they found a loophole in existing law to where they can do this and not get in trouble for it. I, I think they've got kind of flaky standing here. But that's what they're claiming. Uh, they're only going to be offering poker. They're not going to be offering slots or any stuff like that, but or blackjack, just poker. But they think they have the right to do this. I disagree. And believe it or not, the regulatory body that will be in charge of this site would be the Kawanakis. <laughs> you know, the ones that did such a great job uh, regulating UB. But uh, this tribe is uh, looks very shady to me. It's a tiny tribe. And listen to this. The way you deposit and withdrawal and withdraw from the site is either through a shady e-wallet called FinPay or you can go to their smoke shop on their tribal lands and do deposit and withdrawal requests there. (laughs) Nothing like online poker that's funded by deposits to a smoke shop, a single smoke shop. But uh, this is pretty bad because this place actually, they, they, Santa Isabel Indians actually once had a brick-and-mortar casino that didn't make it and went broke and closed down. So they'll be the ones holding your money. This is not a huge, rich tribe that you can trust. Like It's not like Morongo is starting one under these pretenses and saying, hey, you know, we feel it's legal. We're going to take the chance and run it, and we're backing it. We've got a huge brick-and-mortar casino that already runs here, and obviously we have the money to pay you if you win. Like, this tribe is tiny and poor, and I would not trust them for a second to be able to pay out anything you win. Uh, They did an interview yesterday with Card Player, and I've criticized Card Player plenty. This, just like Newsweek, is a shadow of its former self, and just like Newsweek is a magazine I used to respect but now I think is trash. And they were very greedy. They were taking ads from Lock Poker after they knew very well it was a scam. I personally told Jeff Shulman of Card Player about how Lock Poker was a scam, and he apparently didn't care and kept running those ads for a long time. But uh, Card Player did a softball interview. A guy named uh, Brian Pempus. I've never heard of him before. But Brian Pempus did an article with... Uh, Santa Isabel Gaming Commission Chairman Dave Vialpando, basically the guy in charge of this private table site, and asked him a few questions. So it's not a very long interview. Let me read a few of the passages here, a few of the questions and answers. So Brian Pempis asked, can you talk about the process of deciding to go through with this despite no online poker bill in California passing it? And Dave Vale Pondo said, yeah, there's none that will be passing. I actually read a statement 
uh, that they will be reintroducing a bill for California in December, it doesn't really affect our plans. Our authority to offer Class 2 gaming from our reservation is not prohibited by any statute. In fact, I believe it's covered by IGRA. We have been fully cooperative with all the government agencies that have asked us questions, and in fact, anyone who's asked us questions. Most of our regulations are public documents, so it's pretty, full dis- pretty much full disclosure for us. We did, a, we did form an alliance with the California Council on Problem Gambling, and we have just put the finishing touches on what we think is a model responsible gambling program for Internet gaming providers. We will be rolling that out shortly. We are moving full speed ahead. So then uh, Pempus asked, why didn't other tribes in California try this before? Why do you think you're the first? And then Dave says, well, I can't speak for other tribes, but what I've heard is that some tribes are reluctant to do online gaming, not because they fear the government, but because they worry about the adverse effect it could have on their brick-and-mortar enterprises. So th- this is a lie right there. Um, there's various online poker sites, or various, for, sorry, various Indian tribes that really, really want to do online poker, really want to, and they've decided they want to go forward with it. The only thing that is preventing them is fear of the government. So yes, there are some tribes that are still against online poker, but the the ones that haven't gone forward with it are the ones who are afraid that this is all BS, the claims that the uh that they have authority to run what's called class 2 games online. All the other tribes don't believe it. They think this is a a loophole that's going to be closed or never existed in the first place and they don't want to do it. They want to wait till it's actually blessed and regulated by the state of California. So I'm not going to bother reading the rest of that answer. Then he's asked, what exactly will be available for players at the Real Money launch? And the answer is, it's an operation question. We have limited offerings right now because we want to make sure everything checks out reliability-wise from beta testing. It'll be a slow rollout. We'll be adding new features and tournaments and promotions as we move down the road and gain experience. The product we have right now is absolutely solid. We are very confident with it. As soon as we develop that customer loyalty, we are going to look looking to expand all within the confines of what is permitted by law. We have no intention. In fact, it is stated on the Gaming Commission website of offering any Class 3 gaming. That's referring to the things that are non-poker. Uh, so we have we won't have any slots or house bank games, nothing like that. If until the st- if until the state of California licenses those types of games, um, to to answer your question directly, what will you see now in the free play version is what you will see when you flip the switch for real money. It will only be available for California residents who are 18 or older and are located within California at the time of play. Then he's asked, are there any plans to offer games to people in other countries? He says, anything is possible within the confines of what's permitted by law and what the tribe decides is a smart business decision. Our media plans right now are to do the best we can in the enterprise that we spent the last two years developing. I would imagine the federal government would have something to say about this if the activity expanded beyond the bounds of the state. Then he's asked, do you anticipate any other tribes in California or across the U.S. following you into the real money online poker business? And he says, yeah, we hope so. We have received inquiries from the tribes throughout the state asking us questions. We're more than willing to assist others. And I think we mentioned on privatetable.com about establishing an affiliate program. Ultimately, it would benefit the tribe, and we're looking forward to that. Our tribe with nearly 1,000 members, which of course is very small, and 50,000 acres is sourly in need of infrastructure improvements and economic development. We are looking, we're excited to be able to provide that for the tribe. 
So that's it. That's the entire article. It's the entire interview. Now, there's something very big missing here. What's the one big thing missing from this Q&A session I just read? I don't know. Maybe how can players trust that you guys are actually going to pay them and where are you going to hold the money and how are the players going to know that the money they have on deposit is actually held independently and um, always available to them and not spent, stolen, or wasted? That wasn't asked. That wasn't asked. The safety of your money was not touched upon in this softball article. For some reason, card player did not think it was an important question to ask the head of the Santa Isabel Gaming Commission how they are going to hold the money and how are we going to know they don't steal it or misuse it. Somehow the safety of player money was not a concern here, even though it's the number one concern for anyone considering to play on this site. Now they claim that they're going to get going in late August. They claim in late August that you're going to be able to play for real money. I think it's going to be a gigantic failure. I don't think it's going to be relevant because I think everyone's going to be afraid and it's too hard to deposit there with that stupid fin pay thing and nobody's going to go down to their smoke shop. I mean, that's that's almost like... <laughs> I almost thought that was a joke when I heard it. So there's going to be almost nothing running on there. Probably a few micro stakes and a few players, but boy, is it going to be a failure. Boy, is it ever going to be a failure. Uh, to show you how much I think this is going to fail. Um, think about Nevada versus California. Okay, let's compare the two right now. Nevada, which, first of all, has a lot more people gambling in general than California. There's a much more gambling-friendly population in Nevada. But uh, their population is 2.7 million. California's population is uh, much, much bigger, of course, at 38.3 million. So California has, uh, I'm do rough calculations, maybe 13 times the people of Nevada, something like that. The Nevada sites are a failure. They're a failure. They just don't have enough people to really run many games. You have WSOP.com, which is a moderate failure, Losing a lot of money, by the way. I know that for a fact. But they're losing a lot of money, and uh, it's been a big failure despite a lot of marketing. Even during the World Series, it wasn't that active. We have sites like Ultimate Poker, which have been a huge failure, especially once WSOP.com came around. Ultimate Poker in Nevada is just dead as a doornail. And now they're discussing just merging them all because that's really the only solution. California... With 13 times the people, you would think, okay, 13 times the people, that should be able to be enough for online poker. And it definitely is. But, but, this is a tiny site, which is difficult to deposit. It's not going to have any money for marketing. Like, how's how's anyone going to know about this? Where are they going to get the money to market this? How are the people going to know about this site, aside from those who really, really closely follow poker, a.k.a. the pros? They're not. So a site that is not trusted, that is running afoul of California law, a site that is not regulated by the state or the federal government, 
even in a state of California with 13 times the population, is going to be a complete fail site. Because I believe that a very, very large percentage of Californians will either not have heard of this poker site or will be afraid to play on it. And that will very, 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 very much counteract the California population advantage. I'm pretty sure that far more Nevada residents and visitors will have heard of WSOB.com than Californians will have heard of PrivateTable.com, meaning that even with the much smaller population, the Nevada sites should have more traffic, a lot more traffic. And those are blessed by the state government of Nevada, while the private table site is running afoul of U.S. law and is regulated by a very shady regulator that allowed UB to steal from everyone. So it's going to be a failure anyway. It's not going to go anywhere, trust me. They're, they're giving it a shot in the dark because they're tiny, they're poor, they figure might as well because, you know, maybe by some small chance it'll work out and we'll make a lot of money at least for a short time. That's what's happening there. JSTAT, uh, he's not convinced. He says, Dreff, can you go to the smoke shop and deposit for me? I'll mail you a check. <laughs> I don't live anywhere near there. I live closer than you. I don't live anywhere near there. <laughs> but Jay Stan, I don't think you want to put your money on there. Okay, uh, let's talk about Amanda Musumichi. This is an interesting situation. Nothing to do with the online poker legalization fight, but a lot to do with uh, poker gossip and degeneracy and fighting. and It involves two females, too, which makes it even more interesting. As I said during the beginning of the show, Amanda Musumichi ran very deep in the 2011 main event. She's a frequent tournament player. She's become fairly well-known in poker. She's not a huge name in poker, but she's fairly well-known. Kim Shannon, I don't know who she is that well. I just know she has some association with poker. She has a Twitter. Um, She, she kind of tweets like she's closely involved in poker. I just assume that she must be somewhat of a big deal and I just didn't know her. Anyway, uh, she apparently works as Kim Shannon I'm talking about. She apparently works for uh, Party Poker right now. And on uh, July 31st, Amanda Musumichi tweeted the following. Full disclosure, scammer alert on Kim Shannon representing Party Poker US to come once I create my new blog page. Do not lend this person money. Wow. So, she's claiming that Kim Shannon is a scammer. All right, so... What's the story here? What's going on? Well, it took a few days, but Amanda Musumichi wrote her blog and even posted a few times on Poker Fraud Alert about it, trying to bring attention to what had happened. 
the blog also now has a picture of Kim Shannon, by the way, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Kim Shannon's picture shortly. But uh, that's not really the main point of this whole thing. Uh, this is what the blog says. I'm writing this today because the community needs to be made aware of the scammery of Ms. Kim Shannon, who is currently employed with Party Poker as a poker media journalist. And by the way, what I'm reading now are the statements of Amanda Musumichi. Uh, I'm reading her words. These are not my words. These are not my opinions. I will give my own opinion and my own words about this afterwards. But just just to understand, these are not uh, my words about Kim Shannon, and these have already been posted publicly all over the place. Here's the lowdown. In September 2012, while at the Borgata Open, I met Kim Shannon for what might have been the second or third time. She was doing some media coverage for the World Poker Tour event, and I ended up doing an interview with her. And she's saying here that uh, Kim Shannon was interviewing her. Kim Shannon was in the media. We quickly found that we bonded. When Kim and I went for drinks later, she told me about how her ex-boyfriend, Travis Williams, had robbed her of a ton of money and changed the locks on their apartment in Maryland, leaving her essentially homeless. I've always stuck up for the underdogs, and I've always been compelled to help people in need, especially if I have the means to do so. In this case, I was living in a house in Margate, New Jersey, on a six-month lease from September to February. Uh, I've done this for a few years. I had a three-bedroom house all to myself, and so I figured I could, at the very least, let her stay with me while she figured out stuff and got back on her feet. As the weeks passed, it became more obvious that Kim was a permanent fixture. Um, so we made an agreement that all expenses would be chopped evenly for her term living here. This would include all expenses such as rent, house supplies, food, cigarettes, etc. The arrangement was bearable, but definitely far from optimal. I felt a bit disrespected in my own space when she'd leave a mess and, and like fake hair from her hair extensions were all over my house. You know, you know this is a, a dispute between two girls if they're having a problem with hair extensions being left all over the house. <laughs> but anyway, that was, that was one of the complaints One of the more minor complaints uh, but, but it was whatever, I bit my tongue We're in no- mid-November 2012 at this point I'm planning upon going on a 10-day vacation to the islands in just a few days I check my mailbox before I leave And I see a letter that was marked for Kim It was from the Rhode Island Department of Child Support Services That's not good, is it? So she goes on to write, What? What? Child support services in Kim's name? Did I ever have any indication that Kim had a kid prior to this? None. Did seeing this envelope marked to her in my mailbox make me feel like Kim had a big secret she was keeping? Absolutely. It was not hard to make assumption in in this spot. Naturally, I deduced that perhaps Kim had a kid and that she didn't take care of the kid and owes child support. That is what made... That's what made and still makes the most sense to me. I felt deceived and felt super concerned that I ended up letting a bad person into my life at home. As the alarm bells were going off in my head, I decided that with the end of this lease only a month away, it was time to confront Kim about her owed money to me, get it settled, and get her out. I decided it was in my best interest not to bring up the kid thing if I didn't want to have an ugly confrontation with her prior to be asking to be paid. So I said nothing about it to her and left the envelope in the mailbox for her to hopefully retrieve on her own. During the time living there, we kept a list that was long and full of small 
money amounts owed for each time we had gone out, gone shopping, took a pack of cigarettes, etc. I basically always marked it on the list on the fridge so we could keep track. Before I left for the islands, we added it all up together and agreed that our number was 5,500. Within a few days, she told me that she had laid, had asked her stepfather for a 5K loan and that he had agreed. I was obviously happy to take 5K now and work out the other 500 later. I really wanted this to be handled before I left for vacation. She left and she told me that, it would, that her stepfather uh, would transfer the money to my Bank of America account since I also used that bank. I waited and waited. No money made it to my account before my vacation. The, tra- the promise of the transfer bled into December when these messages went down. And then this is a screenshot that uh, Amanda provided from December 14, 2012. Um, with Kim saying to her, did you get anything in your account, toots? Just following up. <laughs> toots. <laughs> Jeez. Toots. Just following up and then like a little heart, you know, the less than the number three. Amanda responded, I didn't see anything in my... BOA account. I'm assuming that's the one you're talking about. So then Kim responds, hmm, he said he was transferring 5K on Thursday. I'll call him and see. Are you having fun? So then uh, she responded back uh, about uh, eight days later. I I don't know why there was no screen capture of the response to that, but uh, eight days later, a message from Amanda to Kim on December 22nd, 2012. Dude, the money, really? What the fuck? This is about to be a major problem. I dock at 8 a.m. tomorrow. I'm expecting a message of some kind from you regarding your immediate repayment of your debt to me. You'll be hearing from me tomorrow one way or another. And then Kim writes back, wow, that's really strong. So then uh, Amanda writes, she finally calls me saying it turns out her stepfather actually isn't comfortable doing account-to-account transfers within the bank system to someone he doesn't know. That doesn't make any sense. But uh, She said that instead he would be sending her a 5K check. She said it would be so simple because he was writing her a Bank of America check. She would be able to cash it for actual cash in hand from our local branch and then immediately just deposit it to my account in the same branch. I waited another week or so. I contacted her pretty upset that this isn't being resolved quicker, and she responds with a shocking tale. Here's what she told me next time we chatted. That her stepfather sent the check, that she, for whatever reason, took a taxi to a non-Bank of America bank and cashed a check for cash. She claims that she was going to write to my bank to deposit this amount right away, but instead she left Margate because she had to run to Harris Atlantic City quickly to do something. She claims that while she was at Harris for a mere 45 minutes, Either the money was stolen or it dropped out of her purse and was gone. (laughs) The old hole-in-the-pocket excuse. I obviously have scammer bells ringing so loud and clear in my ears. I pretty much snapped on her at this point and told her to get out of my house. It was Christmas, but I didn't even care. I told her this runaround was absurd and that story made no sense. I felt like she was playing me for a fool. She did leave my house that Christmas when I told her to, and I didn't hear from her again for a year until this past January. We're talking about 2014. She texted me acting like she was sorry for dodging me for a full year, saying she wanted to make up and pay me off and squash this stuff. I played cool and agreeable because I wanted to get paid. What's funny is that she had recently gotten a job with Party Poker, and there was the Borgata Winter Open coming up. She knew she'd be there, and she knew I'd be there, so it's not really surprising she hit me up to reconcile the debt before a potentially nasty face-to-face run-in at our workplace. So uh, here are the texts. Um, Here's some other texts from 
uh, January 2013 um, from uh, from Amanda. I'll be cool with you and do interviews, whatever, but only once I'm paid and only paid at least a chunk of what I'm owed. You get half of the 5K you owe me to show you, show me good faith, and I'll remain quiet for a month till the other 2.5K is paid off. Uh, showing me that you're not a thief and will pay me back and not feel the urge to warn party. Oh, I, I guess this isn't 2013. It must be 2014. She must have uh, mistyped that. This is about the current thing in, in, at Party Poker in, in uh, January 2014. Showing me you're not a thief and will pay me back will help me not feel this urge to warn Party and the community about our history since I'll have some restored faith maybe that you aren't the bad person you've made yourself out to be. So this is what uh, Kim Shannon wrote back. I'll be honest with you, toots. <laughs> toots. <laughs> Jeez. You're not stupid and you know the importance of public image. You know that's one of the things that always, that's always impressed me the most about you. This is Kim to talking to Amanda. So I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass and say a huge motivator for contacting you was so there aren't any ugly displays that would make either one of us look like catty assholes. But the truth is definitely not the only reason. Uh, half my balance sounds fair. I'll work that out and not make any promises I can't deliver. I just have to prove my sincerity to you. I hope we can be friends someday, and I'll eat whatever shit you dish out for now because I do admit ignoring you for this long was totally wrong on my part. All I can say is you'll see. Uh, she made excuse after excuse for that entire month of the Borcada winter open to keep me at bay. Once the series was over, she was MIA again. A good old-fashioned dose of out of sight, out of mind. I kept trying to contact her, but she eventually told me I was, quote, too hard to deal with and blew me off completely and stopped responding to my texts altogether. It wasn't until I last minute decided to play the WPT at Borgata this past April that I had my next unexpected run-in with Kim. I hollered, I hollered across the signature room to her, Hey, are you ever going to call me about the 5K you owe me, Kim Shannon? She then approached me, apologized again, and asked me to text her to resolve the matter. I did so, and the same thing again. I never heard, or heard from or saw the girl after that on that trip. Kim had long ago blocked me from Facebook, but when I noticed her boyfriend, possibly husband now, Travis Williams, also possibly currently employed with party, not sure, posted a picture of himself, Kim, and their new baby this spring. A new baby. My jaw dropped. I hit up Travis asking if he knew how I could get a hold of Kim regarding the debt. I explained to him now that they are like a family that I'm assuming their finances are becoming shared and that I needed to get paid. No help there, obviously. A month later, WSOP is approaching. Kim texts me saying she wants to pay me off and she'll be in Vegas doing coverage for party poker so she'd be able to meet me with cash. Here is my interaction prior to uh, the World Series of Poker 2014 when I asked if she'd be paying me in full. Amanda asking, am I getting it back at once? Kim saying, yeah, that's the plan. No, it's not like I see you all the time. Probably better to just squash the whole thing. Amanda says, I prefer it that way. It was like 5500 roughly. Uh, and then she writes back, I'm not rolling in extra money or anything, but I hate the elephant in the room every time we're in the same place at the same time. Tension's gross. Yeah, that's exactly what you said last time. Roughly 5K or 5500 Well... Um, this is getting long because I'm not going to read everything word for word. But uh, basically, uh, she claimed that uh, she wasn't actually going to Vegas after that and that Party Poker sending her to L.A. instead. And um, she says now that 
now suddenly Kim is claiming that she's only going to be paid 3000 to 3500 even though they had agreements for so long, including these text messages for somewhere between 5000 and 5500 in fact, it was you know five fifty five hundred mentioned according to Amanda. So Amanda writes, "I'm not looking for drama or public issues. I'm only looking for repayment. Why are you so out of control? All I want is my five k. I want no other issue with you. A year and a half on me uh, isn't on my schedule. I've waited and waited on you. You've made promises whenever you think we'll be in the same place, and you dodged me the entire rest of the year. What do you want me to do, Kim? What the hell is your problem? I don't get what you want." Uh, I don't get why you don't want to pay the debt. Or I get you don't want to pay the debt, but don't take that shit out on me. You owe me. I want it. That's that. And then Kim supposedly wrote back, and this is in a screen capture, you're never, ever getting 5K from me. I don't owe you 5K. Never have, never will. You're the out-of-control one. So that's basically what's going on. Uh, As far as I know, Amanda has not been paid. Now, I was interested in this story. Uh, just because it's, you know, not only one poker community member scamming another, not only because it involves a fairly well-known player in Amanda Musumichi and a poker media person in Kim Shannon, but also just it's an interesting story. And it's a poker female catfight. I mean, it's interesting stuff. So I have spoken to some people who are... uh, Excuse me. What do you do when you have to sneeze on the radio? I guess I could have hit mute, but it came on too quickly. Anyway, I contacted a few people who know some people involved, both sides, and found out. Um, This is what a reliable source told me about Kim Shannon. Not going to say who it is, but it's, it's someone who knows Kim Shannon. I reached out to about this and said that they've known her for a couple of years. They are not sure if she has a, a previous child, this whole Rhode Island thing. They don't know anything about, you know, the child in Rhode Island. But uh, they do know that if she does have a child, that she hasn't had custody of this child because uh, they've known Kim for a long time and that there was never any kid around. However, they also know for a fact that, yes, indeed, this Travis Williams guy did have a child with Kim Shannon very recently. And this is pretty amazing to me, actually, because I believe that Kim Shannon is 44 years old from everything people have looked up about her. So she's 44 years old and just had a child. That's pretty impressive because most 44-year-old women cannot do that. It is very, very hard to have a successful pregnancy at the age of 44. Most times you either can't get pregnant, or if you do, you'll have a miscarriage because the uh, child will have uh, genetic abnormalities due to the eggs being deteriorated, and that'll be that. So, I mean, it's very, very tough to have a natural child at that age, but she managed it somehow with this Travis Williams. Um, This person refers to her as, quote, a low-level scammer grifter, and has asked people for loans many times before, claims she's a lifetime losing poker player and will never get a a real job aside from these media jobs and has, uh, quote, borrowed, scammed, uh, borrowed and scammed people on the AC poker scene for years, even for amounts as low as $80. 
Again, this is from someone who knows her. This is... I don't know if any of those statements are true, but this is someone who I trust and I, I find to be reliable. So that's what they have to say about her from their interaction with her in Atlantic City. It's possible, I guess, that this is someone with an axe to grind against her and isn't being upfront with me about it. So I'll leave open that possibility, but I, I believe them, knowing this person's character who told me this. But wait, there's more. We have the other side, too. We have the other side. Again, from a source I will not name, but a source on the other side who knows Kim, again, a person who is trustworthy, again, a person that I respect, saying that a lot more to this story exists and more facts will be released shortly by Kim Shannon herself. Now, Kim has not said anything yet which is very damning, which I'll get to shortly, in my own opinion of the situation, but uh, that Kim will be releasing a statement shortly and that this person knows a lot more of the story than everyone else does, that I might actually find out when it all is said and done that the villain is actually the victim and the victim is actually the villain. This is very interesting. Let it twist and turns to this one. And uh, one thing that is being thrown out there to me is how did 5,500 rack up so quickly if all they're doing in those three months is sharing a house in Margate, New Jersey and some typical home expenses and cigarettes and whatever. How, how do you rack up $5,500 in that short of a time? Which is uh, like almost $1,700 a month. Sorry, more than $1,700. Uh, like $1,800 a month. So how do you rack up that much living in a house in Margate paying half the rent and some utilities and some cigarettes? So that's what the pro-Kim Shannon person is saying to me. And that um, it was not alone, according to this person. And that I will come to learn that Amanda got something back for the 5500 Not money back, but that she actually got something back in return and realized that and is not being honest about it. So that's what's being said to me here in private by someone who knows Kim Shannon personally and, uh, again, someone with a good reputation who I, I trust. So this, this is weird in that I spoke with two different parties, one who knows Kim Shannon and doesn't think highly of her, and knows a lot of people that have dealt with her and have dealt with her themselves. Another person who is pro-Kim Shannon and is friendly with her. Both people are respectable. Neither person has ever been known to be involved in any shadiness. I'm talking about the two people I spoke to. And yet they both have opposite takes on this. 
though admittedly the first one doesn't know specifically about the Kim and Amanda situation, but is just speaking about Kim in general, that she's very shady. All I can say is this. I do not know of a single story ever in the world of poker where someone is falsely accused of scamming and then they keep quiet about it and it turns out they're innocent. Anytime someone has been falsely accused, they have come out very quickly in their own defense. And it makes sense. If you have the facts on your side, if you're being falsely accused, if people are saying that you're a scammer or a cheater and you're actually not one, then you're going to want to come out and say, no, this is not true, and here is why, and here's how I can prove it's not true. You want to clear your name if you have the facts on your side. When the facts are not on your side, when the facts make you look bad, when the facts prove, in fact, that you're a scammer, that's when you keep quiet. That's when you keep your mouth closed. That's when you don't respond. And that's the way it's always been in poker. I've never seen once where someone stays silent after accusations of scamming or cheating and then it turns out they're innocent. The only way this could happen is if they're gone on vacation or somehow unaware that the accusations are being levied against them, but that's not the case here. Kim Shannon is very aware of the accusations, but she has not yet responded, and it's been quite some time. It's been uh, about two weeks since these accusations first came out. So if Kim Shannon by some chance is innocent or mostly innocent here, she needs to come out with a counter because this is pretty damaging and damning stuff. And I have to say, while I do admit that 5500 does sound like a lot for these three months, from these texts, unless uh, Amanda modified them in some way, which I don't think she did, they seem to show Kim agreeing that that's the amount. And Amanda insists over and over that she has many logs of texts and emails where that amount is what Kim agrees to be paying. So if Kim is actually owing her less than 5500 well, two questions. Number one, why hasn't that amount been paid since it's been so long? It's been coming up on two years. And number two, why isn't she disagreeing with that number when it's being told to her in text, when she's saying, hey, do you have the 5500 for me? Why doesn't she say, wait a minute, it's not 5500 it's, you know, 3000 And here's why. Why, is it, why does she say, oh, yes, yeah, I'm going to have it? Like, you don't say that if that's the wrong amount. So I think from everything that I've seen here, it looks very much like Amanda is in the right and Amanda is the one who's being honest here. But if Kim has something more to say, if she has something to contribute to this whole debate back and forth, and it's too late to keep this out of the public eye. It's very much in the public eye. And to be honest, Kim Shannon's rep will be ruined if she does not clear this up somehow. So if her rep is important to her, which I would think it is, especially if she's in the poker media, she should come out with any facts, any and all facts that would clear her at this point. There's no reason not to. As a little side note, um, I was told, uh, not told, someone posted on Poker Fraud Alert that 
Kim Shannon's Twitter picture of herself is very inaccurate. And the Twitter picture of Kim Shannon, you'll see she's like covering half her face with her hand, and she looks young and attractive in that picture. Like if you if you had to guess how old is Kim Shannon from this picture, you'd say she looks about thirty and she looks very pretty. Not like super hot, but I shouldn't say very pretty. She looks like cute and thirty years old in that picture. That, that's the way I'd put it. But you can't see much of her. You can only see like half her face with her hand in front of her face, and it's like black and white and grainy. Uh, the picture posted of Kim Shannon on Amanda's blog is far less attractive and she looks far older. But then again, this is something Amanda chose to be a bad picture of her. So, you know, I can understand the other side of it. I mean, you can find plenty of bad pictures of me to put up if you want to make me look bad. And I could find good pictures of me to put up on the other side. Uh, But um, apparently Kim really is 44 and was uh, engaging in Twitter in the typical... uh, MySpace-style angled or partially obscured black-and-white picture to make yourself look younger and more attractive. But okay, fine. You know, she's 44. She wants to look more attractive to get more media jobs. That's fine. Uh, But what isn't fine is owing someone money for almost two years, whether it's 3000 or 5500 for dodging them, for making up weird stories about what happened to the money, I would be shocked if Amanda Musumici invented this whole story or told blatant lies given that she has a reputation of her own to protect. But I guess we'll see. I'd be surprised if it doesn't play out in the obvious fashion, but we'll see. And what would not be the obvious fashion is if Kim Shannon responds and drops a bombshell. So, uh, Garrett in the chat is claiming that Margate is very expensive and the electric in New Jersey is expensive. But I don't think it was a very big house. I, I don't see Amanda like re- renting a $3,000 a month house. I'm being accused in the chat room by real talk of manipulating angles myself when I'm taking pictures on uh, Air Canada Rouge to prove how terrible the legroom is there. <laughs> yeah, I, I unfortunately flew on Air Canada Rouge in this trip, and I, I literally did not fit in the seat. They're, they're very dishonest about their seats on Air Canada Rouge. They actually do not fit an average adult male, and I'm a good deal taller than average. So I actually didn't fit in the seat. I actually had to have my legs diagonally, one in the aisle and one diag- diagonally against the seat. It was it was terrible. So I wasn't manipulating angles. In fact, the, the picture I posted of it actually made it look better than it really was. Anyway, we'll see. I look forward to hearing more of the story. At the moment, I believe Amanda. The statement from Amanda on Poker Fraud Alert, by the way, was there are photos of emails and texts in the actual blog that are not showing up here. The debt was accrued while she was unemployed 
and was mostly debt accrued for bills we shared, not cash loans. There was one cash loan of $500 in the beginning, and that was it. Hmm. All Moving along. There was a lawsuit against Foxwoods by Phil Ivey, not Phil Ivey, Phil Ivey's accomplice. And uh, it's an interesting story. It has nothing to do with uh, Phil Ivey's situation, but it is a similar situation. Uh, Cheung Yin Sun, who was Ivey's companion at the Borgata in Crockford's, when uh, they're trying to deny their winnings there in Baccarat and Punto Banco, which is very similar to Baccarat. Uh, they had a similar incident involving the same edge-sorting advantage play tactic that uh, Cheung Yin Sun used with other people, not Phil Ivey. And she's suing Foxwoods for an incident in 2011. Uh, basically, in this lawsuit, she is alleging that um, Foxwoods was free-rolling her. She's claiming that Foxwoods and other casinos knew very well that she was able to do this edge-sorting and would have an, a- an advantage over the casino when playing Baccarat. So why would they let her to play? Why would they let her play high stakes at these casinos with an edge if they knew about it beforehand? Well, she's claiming it was a free roll where they would keep the money if she lost and didn't run well. And if she won, then they would confiscate it and say she was cheating. So they knew they'd win either way. That's what this son woman is claiming. Her co-defendants are... uh, um, Long Mei Fang and Zhang Yang Li. Actually, I'm sorry, co- they're the co-plaintiffs, not co-defendants. They are uh, Chinese nationals, but they do have a permanent resident green card status in the United States. Uh, apparently, Sun was well-known in the advantage play community in Vegas as the queen of sorts, that she had the ability to identify subtle printing asymmetries on the card backs that could uh, figure out, you know, which cards were which. And then, uh, you know, they would get them to turn the cards around, claiming superstition, and uh, would end up uh, giving themselves a big edge in games like Baccarat. Uh, So this latest case involves something that occurred in late 2011, so it had nothing to do with Ivy that uh, it looks it's looking a lot more like Ivy was just uh, kind of bankrolling it. He was just, you know, she was doing all the work pretty much. And he was just uh, the bankroller and the one who was technically the player. And I guess he was using his status as a big, often negative expectation gambler to get away with this. But this had nothing to do with Ivy, as I said. And... She insists that it was known by Foxwoods prior to her playing there with these other two that um, that she was an edge sorter. 
So, um, in, in fact, she was excluded from Foxwoods in early 2012, having to do with this case. And there's, you know, in the Crockford's case when, that does involve Ivy, uh, that's mentioned as well. Like, how could Crockford's not know since all these casinos share information? And since this is such a, you know, it's, it's being done in high stakes, it's a major issue. But she claims that, that Foxwoods knew and was free-rolling her. So... She also is claiming that she and her two accomplices were falsely imprisoned at Foxwoods, that Foxwoods demanded that they remain on property while the casino was trying to make a cheating case against them, and they were saying, hey, we don't want to stay here, we're leaving, and that they actually got a state trooper from Connecticut. Can you some interference here with the uh, sound. That a state trooper in Connecticut actually conspired with Foxwoods to trump up uh, reasons to hold them at Foxwoods while they were trying to find a way to accuse them of cheating. So they're suing Foxwoods for that as well. So, um, we will see what happens. The lawsuit also says that Foxwoods was holding uh, $1.6 million of front money. Front money meaning money they had already sent to the casino to play with that uh, they hadn't used yet. That they would not give back to Sun and her two accomplices. So the way this plays out, I think, will influence how the Borgata and Crockford's lawsuits involving Ivy will play out. Very interesting. What do I think? I I don't think that these casinos knew about the, the, the edge sorting. I think they were just stupid. I think that a casino would not want the hassle of this. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to have this free roll. Even for a large free roll, it's just not worth it. When I say it's not worth it, it's bad publicity for a casino when they deny someone their wins. They don't like that publicity being out there. Remember that guy who uh, claimed to be a professional blackjack player, but he said he didn't count cards, this Don Johnson guy? The casinos promoted the hell out of this guy and all the money he won. They never tried to keep his money. They never tried to accuse him of cheating. They promoted the hell out of this guy as a huge winner because that's what they want. They want you to believe people can come into casinos and win huge money without resorting to tactics that the casinos don't like. But they do not like stories that someone won and the casino doesn't want to give them money and now they're being sued. That's an awful situation for the casino. It's not worth any kind of free roll they might get by allowing someone to play, planning to confiscate their money if they win. So I don't believe it. I think they just were not very diligent at researching who was at the table. I think... They were just stupid. 
I think it's even possible that information had been sent but wasn't received by the right parties. So maybe Foxwoods even received the information about uh, Chin Sun, but somehow didn't put it together when she was at the Baccarat table with her accomplices and with Ivy. I bet it's something like that and not necessarily a free-rolling situation. Now, as far as the whole thing with uh, conspiring to keep them on property, I can believe that. There are shady tactics that casinos have used to try to keep what they think are cheaters on property and to abuse them in various ways. I, I would totally believe that, but it's a hard thing to prove. Well, this is interesting. I have an update to the Kim Shannon story. Hmm. Wow. An update that I will give you right now. See, this is why it's good to talk about this on radio, because it it brings it out. It brings it out to the forefront. And, you know, I'm in the middle here. I'm really not on either side. I don't know Kim Shannon. I don't know Amanda Musumichi. I'm not friends with the other one. I have no emotional connection to who is right or wrong here. Honestly. If it turns out that Amanda's wrong, then I will say so. I have no loyalty to either person. I promise you that. I think they both know that, too. Because they don't really know me. And I've never really talked much before about either of them. But here's the update on that situation. The update. Uh, sound, sound got messed up a bit here. But uh, my update is that Kim Shannon herself is listening to this show. Hello, Kim. If you want to call in, you're welcome to. 775-372-8355. 775-372-8355. But she says that she intends to comment on, the, on Amanda's egregious distortion of the truth. The reason it's taking so long to respond, she says, is because she's a new mom and her son takes priority over everything, and that her proof will contain actual full-text interactions and it's taken a long time to gather it all. She says she's at a family reunion until Sunday night, but that she is going to put a blog up on Monday. Wow. This is getting interesting. So on Monday... We will supposedly get Kim Shannon's response. All righty. All righty. Go for it, Kim. You got something to say? You should say it. In fact, that's what I told your friend earlier. That's what I said. I, I, I mentioned this before going on the air today. I came to your friend and said, hey, look, you know, I'm going to say some things on radio about this whole situation. I'm not on either side. But, um, you know, right now to me, it it doesn't look that good for Kim, but I I don't know the full facts. I only know what Amanda's presented and Kim hasn't answered. I know that not answering always doesn't look good in these spots, but apparently Kim's going to answer. So I look forward to it. None of it involves me. <laughs> this doesn't affect me at all whatsoever, but I still look forward to it because, uh, you know, what do I do? I, I in- inject myself into these situations, one, because they're interesting, and two, because I want to warn the community about any scammers that are out there. So if someone is scamming 
in the poker community. I want that known. And if someone's being falsely accused, I, I think it's fair that uh, that's also known. But Kim says she will message me when the blog is up. And I look forward to reading it. Interesting. Interesting indeed. <laughs> Bobby Orr saying in chat, I bet she posts nothing on Monday. Well, it's possible, but that'd be pretty bold to come to me and, you know, voluntarily. It's not like I'm going to Kim Shannon myself. Like, she's coming to me directly and saying I'm going to post it. And if she doesn't, it'll just make her look worse. But I will report next week on radio what happens, or you can read the forums and find out before then. Let's go to the next topic. Daniel Coleman, the one-drop winner, 15 million bucks. He didn't have that much of himself, supposedly, but whatever. He still won a lot of money. The one-drop tournament, the million-dollar buy-in, appeared on ESPN, and that got the public talking about Daniel Coleman again. Now, when Daniel Coleman first won, he didn't want to do interviews. He didn't even want to take a picture in front of the, the all the money he won. He finally relented and did that, but... When he was asked why he was so uncooperative, he was saying that he doesn't want to promote poker because it's a bad game. It uh, it gets people who can't afford to lose the money to sit down at the table with sharks. I'm paraphrasing him now, but uh, uh, basically that um, poker is being promoted as a great thing and that uh, in reality it's taking money from people who can't really afford to lose it. Well, at the time I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You are one of those players taking money from those who can't afford to lose it. You have a ton of money at the age of 23, and you live this lavish lifestyle in Costa Rica because you took money from people who could not afford to lose it. Or, even if you took it from other pros, you took it from people who took it from those who couldn't afford to lose it. You are the recipient of a whole lot of money that came through the poker community in a way you claim to despise so much, you, my friend, Daniel Coleman, are being a hypocrite here. Because you could only criticize poker from that standpoint of, oh, you know, these people who are losing money in poker, they're addicted gamblers and they're being taken advantage of by the pros. You can only make that criticism if you are not one of the pros, if you are not also gaining from it. Otherwise, you have no business saying that because you're not practicing what you preach. If you think the money that is coming into poker is coming from people who cannot afford to lose it, then you should not be taking part in that. You should not be trying to get your piece of the pie yourself. Now, had Daniel Coleman protested against ESPN itself and how they are taking advantage of poker players for free coverage, for free sponsorship money, that the players basically get nothing for being covered on TV, not even a break in the rake, and yet we're expected to perform on TV for them for free, I would totally be behind that. I would respect someone who would refuse any kind of interviews with ESPN after a major win in protest with how poker players are not getting a piece of the revenue generated from these interviews or from the coverage of the event. But that's not what this was about. Daniel... Daniel Coleman was protesting against poker itself while enriching himself with the game. 
Now, that's old news. But what's new news is the fact that he has commented since the one-drop tournament aired. Especially after um, Lon McCahern and his heads-up opponent, Daniel Negreanu, just said he's a 24-year-old kid who doesn't uh, really know who he is yet. I guess he's 24 now, but that, that he didn't really mean what he said. He just is kind of learning who he is, and is, is, uh, he means well, but he's just kind of a confused kid spouting off. And they said that on the final episode. So uh, this is what Daniel Coleman said about that on Twitter. While I appreciate Lon McCarron's and Daniel Negreanu's attempts to hypothesize at me being a 24-year-old who doesn't know who he is yet, I'm actually 100% certain in who I am. I find it to be a much greater accomplishment and necessary if there's solidarity, if we can get everyone at the bottom to all move up. A couple of rungs on the ladder. This can be done once we stop idolizing who are able to make those who are able to make it at the top. I misrepresented myself before when I said I didn't want to speak to the media because of poker being a harmful game. I do not care about poker. I just see it as a distraction to people, just like any sport, TV show, or movie, taking away the focus from things that matter to people's lives. So now this is even getting dumber. Now he's not just criticizing poker. He's not saying poker's harmful anymore. Now he's saying it's a big distraction. And that our society has too many distractions. We distract ourselves with sports. We distract ourselves with TV. We distract ourselves with movies. Instead of focusing on the real issues in our lives, instead of focusing on the things that matter, according to Daniel Coleman, we are distracting ourselves with frivolous things such as poker, such as sports, TV, or movies. What a bunch of crap. Now, you definitely should not immerse yourself in worlds of sports or television or movies or poker and ignore what's going on in the world or ignore the important things in life. But that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy these activities while at the same time taking the important things of life seriously. This really sounds like a guilty winner. There's been a theory for a long time as to why so many people, so many famous actors are very liberal politically. These famous actors have so much money, yet why do they overwhelmingly support the Democratic Party? Why are they typically so left-wing and, in fact, support policies that would tax them a lot more than if they were to support the Republicans? Why are so many of them liberal? And one of the theories, and I think this theory is true, at least to some degree, is that a lot of them feel guilty with how much money they've made. They feel they don't deserve the vast riches that have come upon them simply for acting in a TV show or a movie. And therefore, they feel guilty and they feel like they need to find another way to uh, compensate for that. And the way they do that is by almost becoming like a self-hating rich person. Well, I think it's similar with uh, Daniel Coleman here. Daniel Coleman just won a $15 million tournament. Uh, I don't know how much he kept for himself, but probably at least 10%, maybe more. 
He's won a lot of money prior to that. He is a very successful young poker player who's won millions of dollars. He is young. He hasn't seen a lot in his adult life yet, to be honest. And I think he is feeling somewhat guilty. I think he feels guilty that the money he won came from fish. And it did. The money that any of us have won in poker have ultimately came from the players in the game who were dead money. And on, even if you ultimately beat a pro, even if you, let's say you just uh, played poker once or twice at high stakes in your life and beat out tables full of pros and then quit the game. And before that you played at either very low stakes or you didn't play at all or played for free money. You still would have gotten that money from the fish because those pros got their money from the fish in the first place. It just filtered over to you. So I think Daniel Coleman realizes that his riches came from people who may have been compulsive gamblers, who may have ruined their lives when they lost at the poker table, that he is not contributing. Oh, my new equipment broke. Now it's back. Actually, a plug fell out. But that he doesn't feel like he's contributing to society. Daniel Coleman feels like all he's doing is taking, 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 taking. And I've seen this manifest itself in many ways among poker players. Some of them go and join some sort of cult-like self-help group like Daniel Negreanu did with Choice Center. Some of them become obsessed with certain causes such as uh, animal rights or um, you know whatever else. Some of them become uh, like Daniel Coleman where they actually get to hate and resent the game itself and in fact resent the source of the money that they have taken advantage of to establish their own riches. I think Daniel Coleman realizes that he's done nothing to better the world and that the money sitting in his bank account came from those who might have ruined their lives to eventually give it to him, even if it didn't directly come from them. And I think he was afraid when they were glamorizing him as the young $15 million winner that this might encourage more people who can't afford to lose the money to sit and play poker and ruin their lives because they idolize him. Now, Daniel Coleman's not a bad guy. In fact, you have to give him some props for having this sort of social conscience at this age to not just be greedy and say, hey, I want as much money as I can make, but actually thinking about the consequence of the money he's winning. However, he still doesn't have a right to comment on it or complain about it. The only way he'd have a right to comment on it or complain about it is if he were to take every penny he won in poker and give it away to charity. Then he could say, okay, I took this money and did good with it. Then he could say that. I didn't gain from this money. But that's not what he did. He took the money. He kept it. He's living large with it. And he's giving us empty words. Criticizing now not only poker, but just anything that's a distraction in life that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. A lot of people know that I'm a big L.A. Dodgers fan and have been for my whole life. 
I admit that uh, I enjoy getting into the Dodgers season and uh, getting emotionally attached to whether they win or lose their games or whether they can finally win a World Series again for the first time since 88. Now, does this really matter to my life? No. You know, it's just a sports team in a city where I grew up. Uh, It doesn't directly matter to my life at all. But at the same time, I can enjoy it while also keeping mind of the things that do matter in my life. It's not like uh, everybody should be expected to 24-7 be concerning themselves with things that matter. In fact, it's healthy to at some point in your day do things that don't matter and do things that leave you with a lot less stress and that you enjoy and that are frivolous or fun. So this just reminds me of of kids in college who, who like to spout off about how they think they understand how the world works and they think they understand morality like the rest of us don't, when in reality they're just clueless kids who mean well but also don't understand that they're being very naive. And that's what Daniel Coleman is. He's naive and he's a hypocrite. He's not a bad guy. He's just naive and he's a hypocrite. I think he means well, but he's naive and he's a hypocrite. Let me know, Daniel, when you're quitting poker, then I'll take you seriously. I'm getting a call here. This old 70s phone on Charleston. No, it's my iPhone. Hang on here. Hang on here. Hang on. Hang on, folks. We have a new feature on this show. Not new, but an unexpected feature. Yes. This has been a bad day. Yeah, I know it has been. Uh, so I want to tell you before you spout off too much about what's going on, uh, you are on the radio show. I got to go. No, don't hang up. No, 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 no. I got to go. No, you don't have to tell. I won't I won't tell when people this, what's happening. When does this damn show end? Uh, this damn show ends probably in about uh, an hour and a half. I thought your show's during the week. It is, but I, I couldn't do it during the week. But you, this is Ken Scaler, everyone. I I know there's I know about some stuff going on. I won't reveal it here because I know you don't want it revealed. But uh, um, if you want to call me and speak to me about what's been happening, uh, you know, in your life there, you can call me about an hour, hour and a half, and I'll answer. Uh, is there, is there well, anything you like to say, anything you like to say to the radio? No. Nothing. Okay. Well, I, I'll I'll give you what a pass. What time is it now? It's it's about four fifteen. I'll call you before 6. Okay. Goodbye. I'm sorry, radio. I have, like, things going on. He does. Okay. Bye, Ken. Huh. All right. So uh, that was Ken Scaler. You know, I, I, I can sympathize. He's, he's got some tough stuff going on in his personal life today. Not, like, tragic. Like, like you know, it's not like a relative died or something. But uh, some tough things are happening. Anyway, um, Hurdle King saying in chat, I agree if he donated even a percentage to charity, he could say what he wanted. Well, it depends what that percentage is. If it's like 1%, then no. Um, But uh, if it's a very substantial percentage, then yes. 
but right now this just looks to me like a kid who wants the riches from his poker winnings, but uh, also wants to be able to criticize those that uh, enjoy poker. So let's look at the next topic here. Well, I like to bring any kind of scam-related story to this show, often even without the permission or blessing from those involved, because uh, if the story comes out, I think we need to cover it, even if it's not something that uh, the person wants covered. I'm not saying that if you tell me something in confidence that I won't keep it in confidence, because I will. But I'm saying that if you go and post publicly about a scam happening and I say, hey, come on Poker Fraud Alert Radio and talk about it or post on my site about it. And you say, no, I'm not going to post here or anywhere. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, guess what? I am going to talk about it because you brought it public. And once you bring it public, then I'm going to talk about it. Well, Kevin McPhee has a a disturbing story he's telling over on – he was telling on his Twitter – that I, I wanted him to come on the show. I wanted him to at least come on the forum and talk about it. But he told me he didn't want to because he said he was being trolled already on 2 Plus 2 about it. And he doesn't want to feed the trolls anymore. Which I, I think is a dumb reason to keep quiet about being screwed by a poker site. I mean, who cares about the trolls? I mean, there's always trolls on 2 Plus 2. There's always trolls on this site. But you don't worry about the trolls. You worry about the, the intelligent and reasonable and logical people. And I said, look, Kevin, forget the trolls. I... I will look at your situation honestly, and if I think you're being screwed here, I will help you shout it from the mountaintops at 8880 screwing you. But he didn't want to. But you know what, Kevin? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about you anyway. July 29th, Kevin McPhee tweeted, Still haven't received my $14,000.88.com poker package. I'm just straight up being robbed at this point, but yet, all the, yet these people are promoting them. He's referring to the fact that they have a lot of uh, sponsored pros. At my wit's end, online cardroom manager has blocked me on Twitter, and ambassadors don't respond, gaming commission does nothing, 2 plus 2 thread about it has died. What do I do? I can tell you what you do. You bring it over here. He doesn't want to. I find it amazing that an online poker room like 888 Poker can still operate in a way that is completely in disregard to its customer base. Didn't they learn anything from the scandals of UB, Full Tilt Poker, or Lock Poker? Apparently not, because 888 is just stealing my money. 888 is basically the new Lock Poker. People are promoting a scumbag site that steals from its customers. So, basically, uh, he's saying that he had his account closed, that their online cardroom manager blocked him on Twitter, that they... He has a balance in the site. They won't pay him. That they won't give him his $14,000 package that he won. And that his account was shut down for, quote, operational reasons. (laughs) Now, what are operational reasons? I mean, an operational reason to me sounds like something on their end, like... uh, you guys can't play this tournament today because of operational reasons. Like an operational reason would be uh, the hardware has failed or the people who are overseeing the tournament are unable to make it today or something like that. Something like having to do with the operations of their company. You don't ever shut down a player's account for operational reasons. That makes absolutely no sense. So he asked them, what do you mean by that? And he says that they would not respond. 
He says, and apparently this has been going on for a long time. He says, I've been ranting about how awful 888 is on for, on Twitter for over a year now. How they've handled and not handled this is simply embarrassing for them. Hope this is a wake-up call to everyone else to withdraw their money and stop playing there. And uh, so he wanted people to email them and voice their concerns to them to make their voices heard to you know, hopefully uh, get his situation fixed. And I don't blame him for wanting people to speak up on his behalf after he gets screwed like this, if that's what really happened. But uh, at the same time, I don't know why he's not taking every opportunity to go on sites like this. And it wasn't like he, he thought this site wasn't big enough or consequential enough. He just said, look, they're trolling me on 2 plus 2 when I, when I try to bring this up. I don't want to be trolled anymore. I, I'm, I'm tired out. I don't want to be trolled anymore. But who cares if you get trolled? Anyway, uh, I believe him. I believe him. And I think this operational reasons is crap. And they, you know, 888.com does not owe an explanation to the public about Kevin McPhee's account. But they do owe an explanation to him. They should not block him. They should not shut out communications. They shouldn't just say operational reasons and and leave it at that. They have to give him a concrete reason as to why they are shutting him down. Why they're taking his money. Why they're not giving him his his prize packages. Because if they don't, they are stealing from him. And it's clear they are not giving him this information. They're not even coming forward and saying, hey, we can't discuss his specific information, but we've told him a lot more than operational reasons. He knows why he can't uh, continue playing here. He knows why we confiscated his money. It's up to him to reveal that. They're not saying that. All they said at support, this is their Twitter, at 888 support says, agreement where it is stated that your membership can be terminated at any time and gave him a link to the fact that they can terminate his membership at any time. Wow. Wow. Can you believe that? That's, that's the response is a link to a terms and conditions where they can terminate his, his membership at any time. They'd have a right to do that if they didn't take anything from him. If they, just, if they paid him out completely and gave him everything they owed him and then said, okay, now we're shutting you down. Because we don't like you or whatever your reason. Fine. That's their right, but not to take his money. So, I know 888's a big company, but I've seen a lot of weird and shady things happening from that site, and I I don't trust them. And that's very indicative. Situations like this are very indicative of whether you can trust a company or not. And This is, to me, looking like a company you cannot trust. It's looking like a big company that gets away with being shady somehow just because they're large. Kind of like Full Tilt did for a long time. Kind of like how UB did for some time. So watch out. And Kevin offers still open to you to come forward to me and to this site about what's happening, and I will back you if it appears you're in the right, which I, I think you probably are. Let's take a look here if uh, we've got any texts here. 775-372-8355 if, is the text number. I have not gotten any new texts. It's funny. We used to get so many texts, and now now nothing. Not nothing, but not many. Nothing new. Maybe because we're on an off day. We'll see you next week. Okay, so take a look at the chat room. Kim Shannon and Dan Coleman should get together 
she needs money, and he has too much. <laughs> That's from Flipper Fair. All righty. Uh, let's, let's move on to the next topic. Let's move on. Well, the odds have been released for the World Series of Poker main event final table. No scandal in this, just interesting discussion topic. Since we had Mark Newhouse on the show last time, I thought it would be a good little topic to discuss. Ladbrokes and Carbon Sports both released their odds. Very similar. The top odds were with Jorit Van Hoof at 5-2, to two, which is equivalent to 2.5-1. to one. All the way down to Bruno Poitano, or Poiltano, 16-1. to one. That's on Ladbrokes. On Carbon, it's the same 5-2 to two for Jorit Van Hoof. And Bruno Poitano has 15-1. Uh, to one. Instead of sixteen to one, obviously very similar. Uh, they're very, very close in their odds. The main differences are Mark Newhouse. He's number three in the odds. He's five to one on Ladbrokes. He's four to one on Carbon Sports to win the whole thing. Third highest, uh, third most likely to win according to both these sites. However, fourth most likely on Ladbrokes was uh, a tie between Andoni Larabe and uh, Dan Sindelar. Whereas on Carbon, Spo- Carbon Sports, Dan Sindelar is given 11 to 2, which is equivalent to 5.5 uh, to 1, and Anthony Larabay is 7 to 1. So they like Sindelar better on Carbon Sports. Everything else pretty similar, and uh, those are the odds. I, I think that's pretty uh, fair odds here. I, I haven't added it all up. It, it, it doesn't actually. I mean, it doesn't come to one because it's uh, they have to make their money too. So these these prop bets are never totally accurate anyway because they're trying to make money in prop bets. There's pretty much a big house edge. But uh, you know, Mark Newhouse listed as third most likely to win. That's probably right, probably right. But I'll tell you something. I've got a good feeling about this Newhouse guy this time. I think he's uh, he's been there once before last year. He's got the most recent experience in this spot, and. Uh, I think he's playing very well, and I think he's got a style that's a bit different than a lot of the others, and I think it might work to his advantage, and provided we don't have any kind of uh, blow-up, I, I could easily see Mark winning this thing. could easily see Mark winning this thing and becoming a huge story in poker, much bigger than he is right now. So again, good luck to Mark. I will be rooting for Mr. Newhouse, who is a nice guy, who has uh, always treated me well, and hope you win. But uh, the odds makers believe you're third most likely to win. Gear Poker, you ever heard of them? I have not, but nevertheless, they are leaving the Equity Poker Network. Now, what is the Equity Poker Network? The Equity Poker Network is a co-op. What is a co-op? Well, it's where the network itself is not making money but is a cooperative effort between all of its skins and they make the profit and the network makes none. Uh, in order to prevent... And, and every site also gets to offer whatever rakeback deals it wants. Now, how does that work? How can they prevent sites from offering higher rakeback than the other skins on the same network and poaching players like has been happening on Merge and elsewhere? 
Well, they actually came up with a good solution. The good solution was that the first site to get a player to sign up will get that player's rake. And if that player signs up to any other equity skin, then the rake still goes to the original skin. Now, this is a bit of a problem. It's not a perfect solution because uh, players can sign up for more than one skin and not realize it. And uh, that ends up uh, only benefiting the first skin, even if the second skin properly marketed them without you know without any kind of poaching or anything. It's, it's really not fair to the second skin. However, I, I guess they just assume this will even out over time. And even if it doesn't, uh, I think the best approach would be just to not let people sign up once they're on one skin, just that you're on one skin, you're committed to it as long as that skin's in operation. That that would probably be the best solution, and that would prevent any kind of confusion or where someone's playing on one skin and then another skin's making the rake from it. But anyway, uh, they have something I really don't like on equity, and that is a shark tax. That is, they penalize the skins for having winning players. I think that's horrible because you... You can't market yourself to losing players. You can try, but you'll always be seen by winning players. This is something beyond your control as to who signs up for your network. And all it does is it incentivizes skins to try to kick off winning players or abuse winning players or find excuses to uh, do bad things to winning players to get them off their rolls. So that's a terrible policy, an absolutely terrible policy. And that policy alone is why you should never play on the Equity Poker Network. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to penalize skins that just want to get the hardcore grinders over there and that don't really try to bring new money to the to the network, don't try to bring fish to the network and only care about gross rake generated. But still, uh, that's not the right way to do it. That's just penalizing skins for having winner, winning players, and that's beyond their own their control. And the success or failure of the players that a skin brings in should not be the business of the network. As long as the players are playing legitimately, not cheating and not depositing with stolen credit cards, at that point the network should stay out of it and not penalize skins for having winning players. In fact, winning players just shouldn't be penalized, period. So, that's pretty bad. Anyway, Gear Poker has ditched them for unknown reasons. Maybe they didn't like the shark tax. Maybe they weren't making enough money. Uh... Gear Poker is just gone. And Equity Poker made a statement that both parties have mutually agreed to go their separate ways. Gear Poker's exit is simply a realization early in the partnership that each party has different ways of doing business, nothing more, nothing less. Different ways of doing business really makes me think that it is about the shark tax. And if so, I support Gear Poker's decision to leave, but I, I wouldn't trust Gear Poker either. I wouldn't trust any of these small skins on the equity network. They can screw you at any time, and I don't like that network's whole concept. I hate any network that is so hostile to winners. I mean, Bovada is hostile enough to winners, but this takes hostility to winners to a new level, and in fact incentivizes abusing winning players and cheating winning players, so I don't like that one bit. Bet365, probably heard of them at some point. Bet365 is uh, 
they were running a very shady promotion, and they're now paying the price for it. Bet365.com had a promotion that said in a scrolling ad box, a scrolling ad box in the middle of the page, fantastic $200 initial deposit bonus, and then, of course, the dreaded terms and conditions apply underneath. But it's not a fantastic $200 initial deposit bonus at all. Now, you would think a initial deposit bonus would be something like you deposit $200, we give you $200. So you get to play with 400, but you can't cash out the deposit money until you the deposit money until you've cycled enough playthrough. That's very typical. That's very standard. That's what you'd expect to be in the terms and conditions. But here are the actual terms and conditions that are very non-standard and very misleading. If you want your $200 initial deposit bonus, you have to first risk your own money. <laughs> so you actually have to gamble $200 of your own money first before receiving that money, that bonus. Um, you also have to have gambled three times the value of your deposit and bonus within 90 days before being able to withdraw any winnings. So if you made a deposit, say, of uh, $400, and then you received a bonus of 400 actually, it wouldn't 400 let's say 100 You got $100 of deposit of your own money. You received $100 back from them in a deposit bonus. Then you would have to gamble $600 to withdraw any of the money, and you have to do it within uh, 90 days. To meet the requirement, uh, you have to bet at odds uh, that are on high-risk transactions. So um, you weren't able to play poker with it or or, uh, or, or games that were not very uh, high-risk to the player. So, basically, uh, this is very, very shady. This is very, very, very shady. I'm sorry, it wasn't. I, I got that's wrong. You weren't forced to bet on, on uh, at bad odds, but you were forced to bet on uh, things that are paying you at at higher odds than uh, meaning you can't do even money bets like in blackjack. Anyway, this is very shady. This uh, The worst part is how you have to actually bet your own $200 first before even receiving the bonus, which is, which is pretty bad. So the Australians were not very happy about this and actually are now suing them. They're now suing Bet365 for what they are doing. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, also known as ACCC, announced that they have initiated legal action against three Bet365 group companies and saying that they were misleading about their deposit bonuses and free bet promotions. But that's pretty bad. Usually a deposit bonus just means you get this extra money right away and the only restriction is to withdraw it, that all you have to do is you know bet a certain amount. But uh, this has a lot more to it. 
pretty shady on Bet365's part, but I would not trust any online casino, to be honest. Maybe the regulated New Jersey ones, but anything that's other than poker, I would not trust any kind of games against the house for obvious reasons. They have a very high incentive to cheat you. Well, finally, before we move to uh, the editorial, at Caesars, there was a robbery last month, and there are now some arrests in that robbery, which is good to hear. $180,000 was stolen from Caesars Atlantic City, and this Robbery was done in a unique fashion. It was done where they were, uh, they had some boxes of cash, plastic box, boxes of cash that were changing hands at a certain point, at a certain shift change. And someone knew about this, and armed robbers took those plastic boxes of cash, then hopped into a getaway car and got away. So this is different than someone just running up to a table and grabbing chips off the table and running or, or pulling a gun on a cashier. This was someone who knew the internal operations of Caesars Atlantic City. Well, they weren't as smart as they thought because apparently, uh, even though um, they were wearing masks when they did it, someone who was involved was recognized as a former employee. And it turned out that, surprise, surprise, a 19-year-old former security guard actually was the ringleader of this whole thing. Former security guard at Caesars Atlantic City, that is. So, uh, that's... (laughs) It's pretty bad that... uh, First of all, I don't know why they're hiring 19-year-olds as security guards. You think that's not very smart. They actually can hire older people legally. You're allowed to discriminate into hiring with age when it's for younger people. You can't discriminate against older people, but you can discriminate against younger people, the theory being that younger people will eventually get older anyway, whereas old people can't become young again. Uh, But, uh, yeah, they arrested eight people involved with this, including the gunmen, the getaway drivers, anyone involved. Uh, Isaiah Plummer, who's 19 out of Atlantic City, was one of the gunmen. And uh, Aaron Evans, 24, was another gunman who uh, grabbed uh, two plastic boxes of cash with more than $180,000. The car outside was driven by Nathaniel Greenlee of Delaware and Donovan Jackson, also of Delaware. Um, Plummer had actually been fired two weeks earlier from Caesars Atlantic City, but it's not clear why. But he knew enough about their transactions over there to be able to do this and not only that they pulled up to a door on a side street that's not frequently used and had very detailed knowledge on where to find the money they were in and out of the casino within four minutes pretty fast operation but uh, thanks to one of them being recognized by a a Caesars uh, security guard they were arrested and the entire ring came down As a weird aside, when they went to arrest uh, one of the getaway drivers, actually the one who was the driver, Nathaniel Greenlee, I guess uh, Donovan Jackson was just in the car. Nathaniel Greenlee was 21. His dad was home at the time. 
Now, you think if your son has just participated in an armed robbery of 180K and the police are coming to the door to arrest him, as much as you love your son, you realize his time is up and uh, the police are going to get him. When the police are at your door, the one thing you don't do as the dad is shoot at the police. But that's exactly what Nathaniel Greenlee's dad did. He shot at the police and, in fact, shot a police officer. But uh, the police officer is wearing a bulletproof vest, and I, I, I guess he wasn't that seriously injured. So, of course, the father, John Greenlee, was also arrested and probably going to be charged with attempted murder of a peace officer, so that whole family's in trouble. They also arrested uh, a few other people who were involved in some way. I don't know exactly know what their roles were. But... Uh, Let's see here who else was arrested. Monique Kelly and uh, Dwayne Morgan, both 19, were arrested the day after the heist. Now, I don't want to turn this whole thing into anything about race, but just just for your information, this does seem to be uh, a gang of uh, eight black guys. Well, I guess seven black guys and one black female. But it it was... uh, uh, not a mixed racial group here. I'm not making any kind of commentary on that, just so you, if you want to get in your head of uh, who was involved. It was it was basically uh, eight young and probably uh, not very well-off black young people who committed this robbery. So... It was actually pretty uh, smart, this robbery. You know, it was pretty innovative. It was different than anything that had been done. And if they hadn't been recognized, they would have gotten away with it. The one flaw in this plan they had was that it was pretty clear right away that whoever did this had inside knowledge. Now, that doesn't immediately finger a specific person, but it makes it a lot easier to look for the perpetrators when you know it's someone with inside knowledge rather than just anyone who came up with a scheme. So that was the one problem here is they they didn't do enough to uh, conceal the fact that they had inside knowledge. But I, I guess it's hard to do that and get away with it without getting caught while you're doing it. So looks like Everybody involved in this and the father of one person involved are now all behind bars and will be for a while, especially the ringleaders with the guns. So. I guess this is the last portion of the show now, and it's going to be about the game of poker. We had Daniel Coleman attacking the game of poker shortly after he won the one drop. Not so much recently. Recently now he's just attacking anything that's a a diversion from the important things in life, but still. And then we had uh, the Newsweek article bashing online poker as something that's a danger to our children. So what about the game of poker? I've had this debate with people before. I have had this discussion with people who were critical of my playing poker for a living. Critical from a moral standpoint. They say, why don't you go back to a real job? 
What are you contributing to society? Aren't you just taking money from people who have a gambling addiction from sick gamblers? How, how can you live with yourself taking money from sick gamblers? Well, this is how I feel about poker. Poker is a game that's open to anyone who has the money to sit down and play it. In an ideal world, and of course we don't live in an ideal world, but in an ideal world, every single person who sat down at that table would have the exact same skill set, the exact same bankroll, the exact same consequences for losing, and the exact same mood at the moment they play, to where it's really an even contest entirely based upon actual skill in the game and luck. And that would be it. But of course, that's not realistic. In reality, it's just a game where you bring money to the table, you try to win money. Sometimes you will and sometimes you won't. Some people will obviously be better at the game than others. Some people will be luckier than others. Some people will have enough money coming into it to where they're not affecting their lifestyle by losing, where others will lose money they cannot afford to lose or significantly impact their lives in a negative fashion by playing. But let's take a look at this realistically. Let's say there is no poker. Let's say poker becomes illegal and it disappears. I don't just mean online poker. I mean, let's say all poker is just gone. What about those people who would have lost money? What about those fish, those would-be fish who would have lost money to the pro poker players? Where would that money go? Would that money stay there? Would it stay in the pockets of those who otherwise would have lost it that they could otherwise spend on their family and other worthwhile things in life? No. The high likelihood is that money would disappear somewhere anyway. It would disappear into the coffers of the casinos, such as at blackjack, at slots, at roulette, at craps, sports betting, whatever. It would disappear maybe through frivolous expenditures, bad investment opportunities. The point is, there are so many different ways you can spend your money stupidly. So many different ways you can waste your money or make unwise purchases or unwise usages of your money or spend above your means and end up in trouble financially. And we honestly cannot protect everybody from doing that. We we cannot act as a nanny to everybody else's money. You make the money, it's yours, and then what you do with it at that point, whether you spend it wisely or unwisely, is really on you. Now, I can support the protections against compulsive gamblers when they're identified. I support the banning of certain players who are showing a gambling compulsion from casinos or from poker sites or wherever. That's fine, and that's healthy to do, and that's the right thing to do. But you can't protect everyone from losing money at the poker table because they're not as good as everybody else. You can't, and how far does it go? Then do you start protecting pros from sitting down with better pros? You can't. The point is, poker is just another way to invest money. And just like all investments, it can be a good investment, it can be a bad investment, and it's often affected by luck. 
and you can't seek to protect people from that, and you can't say it's a bad thing. Unless you want to say that all money is a bad thing. Unless you want to say that some people having more money and some other people having less money is a bad thing. If you want to live in anything of a capitalistic society, you can't complain about poker, which is really a purely capitalistic game. Poker does not care if you're black or white, or if you're young or old, or if you're good-looking or ugly. All poker cares about is whether you have the winning hand. All poker cares about if, is how much is in the pot. The rest doesn't matter. Your skill will allow you to have more winning hands or win more money in those hands that you win. And that's all that will matter. And of course, there's luck mixed in there too. But it separates the good from the bad. It separates the lucky from the unlucky in the middle. It separates all that naturally through the way the game plays out, just like real life does. Poker can be a challenging game. It can be a frustrating game. It can be a fun game. It can be an interesting game. It's an ever-changing game. But if you want to criticize poker, you have to criticize all gambling. And if you want to criticize all gambling, then you have to criticize any form of investment where you can possibly lose your money, such as real estate, the stock market, or anything else where you can invest money and potentially lose it. The point is, we all have money. We all have our choices on how to spend that money. Poker is one of the ways to spend that money. And the honest truth is, anyone losing money in poker would likely be losing the money gambling in some other way. And it's better that this money goes to professional poker players than to big corporations that run the casinos. I will admit there have been times that I have felt some brief guilt, especially live when I can see the person's face, in beating someone out of a lot of money where I'm afraid maybe they can't afford to lose it. I'm afraid maybe they're a compulsive gambler. And for a moment I think, what right do I have to beat this person when I'm a far better player than he is and I know it, and I'm here because he's here? And I'm here because I know he is far inferior to everybody else at the table. And I'm hoping to get a piece of his money. And that he may be here because he has a problem gambling. Or that he doesn't fully understand how much worse he is than everybody else is at the table. And what right do I have to do that? And then I thought, wait a minute. This is not my business to even worry about or consider. I made a conscious decision to sit at that table because I felt like I had a good chance to win money in that game. And so did everybody else at that table, including the fish. Now, sometimes I'm right about the fact that I have a good chance to win the money, but sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I may sit in a game where I am not the favorite. And you know what? No one should feel sorry for me when I sit in that game. Nobody should feel sorry for me when I make a bad investment somewhere else in life, just like I should not feel sorry for the fish who chooses to sit down with me and other better players at the poker table. And furthermore, I know that if I don't beat the fish out of that money, not only will other poker players beat him out of that money, but even if there's no poker, he will then lose it at blackjack or craps or sports betting or something else. So even me not playing him will do absolutely nothing for this guy's bottom line, that the money's going to be gone anyway in some way. But poker is not a bad game. 
I wouldn't say that poker is something that does good for the world. It doesn't. Poker is not something that is providing a service or, or doing something positive for the world as a whole, but it's also not a negative. Poker is just one of many ways you can spend your money and invest your money. And where sometimes you can invest wisely and sometimes invest not so wisely. I think anybody who criticizes the poker game itself and still plays is the ultimate hypocrite like Daniel Coleman. If you don't agree with me and think poker is a bad thing and you think poker is evil and you think poker is predatory, then you should not play. And if you do play, then you're a hypocrite. Anyway, that is my feeling on the game of poker in the context of whether it is a good or bad thing. What may be a good or bad thing to you is that this show is ending. I'd like to thank those of you that braved this weird broadcast time of 2 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and spent your Saturday with me. Thank you to Billy Buster for the unexpected $100 free roll that he ran on the No Fraud Online Poker Room and for the generosity as shown both in running that site and for donating many times to the free roll. Thank you to C-Money and everybody else who's donated to free rolls here in the past and present and future. I will be getting out those hats If I haven't responded to you about your hat, don't worry. I will uh, respond to you soon. I'm kind of just gathering it all up at once and we'll respond to them in a batch. Should be sending out the hat soon. Next scheduled episode, five days from now, five short days from now, on August 21st, it'll be a Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Next episode after that will be August 27th, a Wednesday, also at 6.30 p.m. or thereabouts. I look forward to seeing the post by Kim Shannon rebutting everything that Amanda Musumichi has had to say about her. And maybe I will be on next week with something very different to say. We shall see. If you did try to send me text messages during the show and I didn't receive them, then please let me know because I want to test the reliability of this number and I tried to text myself and it was fine I am getting texts from one guy but nobody else probably just because we're on an off day probably because of that so that is it I have to admit my throat feels dry and kind of hurts even though I'm not sick anymore really well it's tough to talk for like three hours straight I've known that for a long time but I will be back to do it again next week maybe with a co-host Maybe even with Brandon. We're negotiating with him about coming back to this show on a at least semi-regular basis. And we'll update you on that as that takes place. Good afternoon, everybody. Have a good weekend. See you in five days. Shalom. <laughs>